On this episode of the Star Wars Time Show, Matt and Nick will be joined by some Star Wars prequels royalty in the form of Silas Carson, who will be on the show to talk about his Star Wars career. After that, hopefully awesome discussion, the dudes won't break. Nope, they'll head straight into this week's Star Wars topics, which includes a new High Republic comic review, multiple rumors about the Andor series, and another rumor about an Ezra and Thrawn series. Yes, the poo-flingers were busy on Reddit, but the dudes still feel the need to cover their supposed leaks to put their own spin on them for hopes of personal glory. They'll wrap with a talk on some new Star Wars collectibles worth considering in this week's fan segment, which will include fan responses for the question of the week, and of course, the top five plus one Star Wars fan artist features. Punch it, you walking carpet! Everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Star Wars Time Show. And boy, oh boy, are we excited. And hopefully you can see why if you are on the live stream. That's right, boys and girls, we are joined by some Star Wars prequels royalty in the form of Mm. Mr. Silas Carson, a.k.a. Kiati Mundi, a.k.a. Newt Gunray, a.k.a. Antidar Williams, and one more for good measure, a.k.a. Lot died at least as the 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 person wow. in the costume, right, Mister Carson? Did I get them all? You got them all, man. I was just thinking how greedy I am when I listen to that. <laughs> you really? I, I when we were doing our research, I did all, I did all of that. You sure did. You sure did. I mean, how did they? Uh, how did they? Was George on drugs or something when that happened? <laughs> Potentially. Well, ho- hopefully you'll let us know as we get into the interview. Does Did George Lucas uh, maybe smoke something back in the 90s? Who knows? But uh, I, again, I just want to thank you for... I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we won't go there then. It's fine. But uh, again, thank you for joining the show. This is huge. I mean, uh, you're, you're our first official Star Wars uh, actor guest. We, we've talked to some some extras that worked on Mandalorian. We've talked to some, uh, you know, fan artists. But you are the first actual Star Wars actor that has participated in the live action movies, worked with Lucas, worked with the cast. So uh, this is huge for us. So, again, thank you for giving us uh, a bit of your time this evening over there in the UK. Absolutely my privilege and my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, Hello. All right. We, we, we got a few people in the live stream. We will have a, a few thousand more on the podcast platform. So uh, the way we, we kind of like to, to start our interviews here, Silas, is to establish our guests kind of their, their, their Star Wars biography. Uh, now, I mean, you being one that has actually played in Star Wars, obviously, you know, you're you're at the top. But uh, I just like to kind of let our fans know or, or kind of just get inside the guest mind and, and how they uh, thought about Star Wars maybe before, in your case, working in it? Uh, is it something that, you know, per se, it, has Star Wars always been something that you've been a fan of? Or did you kind of fall into the job and then become a fan of it once you started working mm. in the universe? Okay, so this is a funny story. Uh, some people out there may have heard me say this before. 
Um, but and this is absolutely true. I knew nothing about Star Wars before I <laughs> before I stepped onto the set. Absolutely nothing. It's a very very strange thing. So. I grew up in a very quiet coastal town. That's where I went to school uh, from the age of four until I was 18 in the 70s, you know. Uh, and Star Wars, of course, came out. But I wasn't really somebody I, – I was at a public school, so I was working very hard. I wasn't somebody who went to the cinema or the theater. We had one cinema in town. We had one theater. And um, – I just didn't go to the movies often. In fact, I didn't go to the theater. I can't remember any, seeing anything as a child. And then I just happened to go on stage at the age of 17 in a school musical, and that's what started me acting. I was like, wow, this is fun. I'm going to do this, uh, which is another, another story. Um, and then I ended up at drama school in the kind of early 80s, and... I started to go to see movies that were relevant to what I was studying. So I started to watch a lot of Kurosawa and Kislovsky. And, you know, then I started to get into going to the cinema a lot. But somehow Star Wars just passed me by. Even with George's Kurosawa influences, you didn't. Did, did you see any of that in, in Star Wars after you watched those films? Yeah. 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 There's a very interesting story I'll come to in a little bit about, about exactly okay. that. Um, so I'm 30, 31 by the time I get a, um, a call from Robin Gerland, who at the time was George Lucas's personal assistant, and she was also casting the movies. And uh, my agent called me up and said, uh, so they're making the Star Wars films. And I went, what? what? They're making the Star Wars films? But they already made them. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, God, Silas, uh -oh. no. No, no, no. What they're doing is they're making three new ones, prequels. And I went, oh, okay. Okay, cool. He said, you know about them, right? And I said, well, of course, I've heard about them, but I've never seen them. And he was like, okay. Well, you know, do a little research. I have you this interview. So I went to meet Robin Gerland. There was a very small part as a pilot. I think it was like maybe a couple of scenes or something, or one scene. Um which never made the cut, but my agent had Miranda Richardson uh, who had met George and there was a connection there. So he said, look, I've got you this meeting as well on the back of him meeting Miranda. Please go and speak to, you know, Robin Gerland. So I go and have this interview with her. And at the time, there was really no script to play around with. George was playing with the idea, but she just wanted to meet a bunch of people. When about was this, Silas? Like 94, 95 or 96 maybe? Uh, 95, I think. Gosh, it's a long time ago now. I can't remember exactly. It's 95, 96. But it was, it was very, they were close to film. Okay. Okay. Uh, they, they had all their major people on board and now they were, you know, kind of like trying to find people for all their little parts and, and, so I go and I go and have an interview with with uh, Robin, and we're in a hotel room in Soho, and she puts the camera on me, and she said to me, "So you know all about Star Wars?" And I went, "Well, actually, I don't." <laughs> Oops. I was just so well, no, I was just I was being right. honest, but I was so cool because I knew nothing about it. You know, I, I knew nothing about how huge this world was. You know, I just heard people talking about it. She went, "Are you are you kidding me?" And I was like. No, I really, I know nothing about it. I've not seen the movies. I've heard about them. 
you know, I've seen some of the little toys that people have, but it, it kind of passed me by. And she went, oh, okay. So we started talking about all kinds of other things, you know. And, um, and then she, this was the time before smoking indoors was banned. And she took out a packet of cigarettes and she started to light her cigarette and she said, oh, would you like one? And I went, no, no, thanks. I'm, I'm good. I, I don't smoke. And she went, oh, and she put the cigarette back in her packet. And I said, what are you doing? She goes, well, I'm not going to smoke in front of you. And I was like, oh, man, that's so American. I'm totally, <laughs> yeah, I'm totally cool with it. So here she was faced with this guy who seemingly just didn't seem to know anything right. or seemed to care going on, you know. She showed this interview to George, and apparently George said, I like him. I like him. And the reason is, I found out later, is that, you know, everybody who got an interview was dying to be on Star Wars. Yeah, they were all, like, really pumped right. for it. And I was like, meh. You know? So, so do you, I mean, <laughs> so, do you think that that ultimately helped you then? Was was your lack of knowledge, he, he might have looked at you as someone more of a, like, a blank slate, and, and you weren't coming in with any preconceived ideas of what it was to be in star wars yeah I, I mean you'd have to ask george if that was the case or not he did laugh about it with me he you know he did say i love you i loved your interview <laughs> at the very is that you out know, there anywhere a, did that make it on any of the behind the scenes you're, you, no 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 they wouldn't they would never show you know uh, a, a, an audition interview like that that's that's kind of you know private stuff but but uh, i i like to think that it probably did simply because you know people are surrounded i mean george is surrounded by people who absolutely love this world and love these movies you know and i think it was probably just fresh for him to have somebody who was you know who knew nothing about it but i was totally game for it as well you know when robin took me into the creatures department she said you know when i went in for a little meeting about this tiny pilot which didn't make the the cut and then they offered me Lieutenant Williams and then I was walking around the the building and Robin was showing me around. She showed me to the creatures department and I saw this bust of what would become Kiadi Mundi and I was like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. What is that? Who's that going to be? And she told me and I said, oh, that's incredible. What a, what a beautiful piece of work. She said to me, have you ever done any prosthetic work? And I said, no, never in my life, you know. She kind of went, would you maybe like to? You know? Yeah, like, hey, this guy said, doesn't yeah, know I, what, what the process is like sitting in the chair for five hours. Let's sign him up, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, the thing is, guys, I'm up for anything in my profession. I will, you know, I'll try anything. Working with prosthetics on or doing voiceovers or doing silly voices or, you know, being on stage or doing uh, an online piece of theater or whatever it is, I'll go with what's new there and fun. So I was up for it. But I think, yeah, it probably did help that I knew nothing about <laughs> Star Wars. I think it was probably fresh. As, I, I do think yeah. I remember seeing that when I was doing some research about the, the initial role you went up for. Now, did your agent get the call was it was it just kind of like a general call or did someone did robin uh, see some of your reels and be like hey we we want to we want silas to come in to audition for something uh i don't know about what went on behind scenes actually you know sometimes uh people call up my agent and say i'm interested in silas Watts' availability sometimes my agent will will suggest me and then they might you know say yeah let's meet him or they may say send us some show reels, send us some of his material. I never ask questions about how okay. things came Got about. You. you know, people sometimes tell me down the line, but 
as far as I'm concerned, my work starts when I go into the meeting yeah, yeah. room. You know, I'll do my research on, on, on people and find out who they are. But how they found out who I am, I have no it, it was idea. meant to be, right? It was the force doing its work. That, that's how we like to say <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, it very much feels like that because it was one of the most fortuitous things I've ever done. And, it, you know, and then to answer the, you know, the question that you originally asked, yes, it opened, up, it opened me up to a whole new world. I was like, wow. I went to see all three movies because they, they released the, um, the limited edition of all three movies for the first time. Just before right, yeah, in the mid-90s, I remember that, yep. That's right. So I went along to this cinema. Very few cinemas here were showing all three in a row, and I went along to them. And, you know, there I was in the cinema. I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to expect. And then, <laughs> over my head, I was like, oh, my God. And even though this film was, you know, decades old by then, I could see why it had such an effect on yeah. people. Even then, decades later, it still, and it still does now, you still sit back and go, whoa, even though people have, you know, been doing things like that and George has opened up a whole new world, it still oh, hits yeah. you. Oh, yeah. So uh, are and you yeah, a fan now? Are you a Star Wars fan these days? Yeah, yeah, I'm a fan now, yeah. Well, I'm a fan now. I think they're amazing movies and I think what George has done is incredible and the whole world of storytelling is amazing. But yes, I did straight away. I, was, I could see the influences, you know. That's what George was so amazing at doing, was pulling in all of these other influences that we all kind of knew about and making them into something that was yeah, And just how he would shoot the films. I mean, I, I know Kathleen and, and even John Favreau, they, they've kind of credited the whole volume technology and using those LED stages now. Uh, to George and what George wanted to do, the technology just wasn't quite ready when you, when you all were making the prequels. That's why you had this huge blue screen rooms, green screen rooms. You, 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 you as actors really had to, to earn your money on the prequels in imagining some of these scenes that you were in. Sure. Sure. I mean, you know, the first thing to say is that I think that's what George is brilliant at is the technology. You know, he's a, he's a pioneer of movie-making technology. And I think that's his real strength. There are other um, directors who kind of, you know, grew up with him and, you know, they went to the same film school together and knew each other who have gone in slightly different directions. So, you know, you've got Steven Spielberg, who's a kind of, you know, all-round filmmaker. Francis Ford Coppola is a very specific kind of, you know, uh, director, story, story writer. George, you know, has written his great stories and made his great movies. But actually, for me, the innovation of George is the technology. Yeah. You know, what he's done with, with the technology, how he's pushed the boundaries and, and constantly re-kind of, you know, evaluated the way in which we can make oh, movies. Yeah. And, and experience. Just, I mean, THX, ILM, all that has, has stemmed out of his side projects just to make yeah. his movies. So. And it's amazing how many movies you watch now and, and you see, you know, THX coming up or Lucas Sounds or, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. I guess it's, it's, it's quite incredible how influential he has been. Have you, know. you kept up on, I guess, what it's been branded now as, as Disney Star Wars? Have you watched any of their um, projects, Mandalorian, any of the movies? Yes. Or? yes, I have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen a couple of them and I really, really like, you know, what they're doing. Um, there, there is a, 
for me, there's a there's a point at which a franchise then becomes its own kind of thing. You know, um, it's 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 still groundbreaking. It's still storytelling. You know, it's just that universe being stretched. And I think it's wonderful that it's been passed on. You know, because when George passed it on, we were like, "How's it going to work out?" You know, how's it going to work out? But J.J. Abrahams and, and the other guys, they've just, you know, they have put their own stamp on it. And it's a whole wonderful world now. It hasn't lost anything. Did you send any flyers their way when you heard that they were making more movies? Did you try to get them to resurrect uh, Moondi or, or Gunray somehow? <laughs> I did. They know where I am. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, they, they did find you for, uh, I, I believe you, you did uh, Key's voice in season seven of The Clone Wars, right? That's right. yeah. Was that kind of a surprise call? I mean, because they, I don't believe they used yeah. you for the Clone Wars the, the, the first couple seasons, uh, but yeah. then they, they did loop you in for the final season, which we all thought was awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was great. No, it was a total surprise to me. Total surprise to me. And it's just always, I mean, you know, it's been 20 odd years now. It's just always lovely to, you know, to go back in some form or other into the booth and, and recreate that stuff. He just, he always yeah. said he has a, such a distinct voice, which obviously is, is your voice. And uh, I, I was doing some reading that you, you kind of based the, the voice off of like an, an old person, right? I mean, someone that spoke more thoughtfully, more carefully because of their wisdom yeah. from age. It really, exactly. It really came down to that design. You know, when I, I saw the um, uh, the clay head that they were modeling Kiadi on, and then when I saw them do a kind of uh, a mock-up of what would become the, the foam head, uh, I just, it, this is before he was painted, you know. I could just see this very wise old man. To me, he looks like... Um, kind of like a, a Native American spirit or, you know, somebody who's been in a ashram in India for years and years and years, meditating, contemplating. Oh, yeah. So somebody who's very centered, you know, he's just got that look about him. And of course, with the, with the two brains, you just assume him to be exceptionally wise. So when people are like that, they, don't, they never have to raise their voices, you know, and they speak with a very centered voice. But he looks like a you know, an old wise soul. So in I terms kind of, of some that. In terms of building that persona, um, did they kind of give you a little bit of, you know, leeway to to build the voice and, and build the character the way that you saw fit as you described? Or did they kind of go in after the the character creation and give you some details on like, oh, this is where he's from. This is his his background a little bit? Yeah, not with Kiadi. Okay. Not with Kiadi, because, you know, the thing about Kiadi is that uh, what I was doing on set was recorded because the the prosthetics, the prosthetic foam only, only came to around here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, the mouth is painted, but it's my mouth and what I'm saying on set um, in real time was recorded as such. And so I just, you know, went in and adapted that or adopted that voice Use that voice. George didn't say anything. He said, we love what you're doing. You know, awesome. With Newt Gunray, it's different. Because with Newt, they played around with, you know, how do we want the Nemoidians to sound as a group of people? And then they plummeted for a particular kind of an accent, which I know there's a whole, there's a whole story around what that accent is, but actually it's much more simple than, than people thought. Um, and 
Then we talked about different, you know, actors, different kinds of voices, you know, and we, the, the three of us, there was George, me, and Robin in a voice booth in Abbey Road Studios, oh which was so for me. I, I'll tell you about that. Were, were, were you able so to bring any souvenirs back from the studio? <laughs> no, 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 just, 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 just happy yeah. memories. The three of us worked on that voice together and we all came up with, you know, a, a, a sound that we thought would, would, would work. But yeah, Abbey Road Studios, man. I mean, you know, as an Englishman uh, going into Abbey Road Studios and being able to work could, in could there. Could you feel not... like their spirits there? Like, I mean, just the amount of, of rock and rollers that went through that studio. I mean, I would think that it's like oozed into the walls and paint at this point in time. Like totally. like their mantra just, just oozes out. Totally, man. And I believe that about buildings. Like, you know, buildings are living things and they imbue um, energy. So, you know, like when you go into a house that, people are happy and you go, this has got a lovely atmosphere to it, this house. And you can go into another house, you know, and the energy is not good. And that's contained in walls and it's contained in materials. If you go into a church, you know, even if you're not a religious person, you go into a church, there's something wonderful about true, true. not just the cool air and the incense, but it's, it holds the atmosphere of so many people meditating on life. It's got a particular calming atmosphere. You go into Abbey Road Studios, man, it just has this extraordinary atmosphere. Did, did you feel like pop, singing? Pop. I mean, did you, did you break out in song at all? Did you, did you catch yourself yeah, on the yeah, instruments? Yeah. <laughs> you do all the time, yeah. You want to go and see these little rooms where people recorded. Right. So we're in the middle of doing this recording, the voice stuff for Newt. It took about, I think it was about four or five days doing the whole thing. And, um, and at one point, lunchtime george says to me um john williams is downstairs oh with goodness. the audience. <laughs> would, you, would you like to just you know pop in and have a listen i'm like john williams is downstairs <laughs> recording he went yeah 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 let's go and have a listen so i oh. go in there and it the, the, the whole kind of you know the, the 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 room where they put the philharmonics you know and and there's the whole orchestra and he's playing and recording, it was just wild. Unbelievable. It was totally. It, it really is amazing some of the experiences you got to go on because of of this role. And I, I mean, other celebrities they get it too. If you listen to interviews, you know, this musician saw this musician. They sat around one night and someone did back, you know, backing vocals on their track. We might have never known of it. Just it, it's crazy the opportunities that open up when you get involved with Star Wars, yeah. working with George. Uh, back to the Newt stuff, because, I mean, me personally, yeah. I love Newt. I think he's one yeah. of the best villains. He, he's very, like, Saturday uh, Flash Gordon-y serial type of sci-fi yeah. villain, like a, a, a Tommy yeah. Tough yeah. guy that really can't back anything up that he says. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah, why I yeah. love him. So, so the and I always I always find myself like, what's going on down there? And uh, is can we make it legal? Like that, I just, I love the accent. So where did you pull that from then? Like, were you listening to other dialects? I mean, did, did George say we want yeah. to sound? Well, George, George chose the accent. I mean, basically the accent, it came down to um, a Taiwanese accent. Lots of people thought that it was Japanese okay. and they were making some commentary about, you know, trade federations and so on and so forth. But that's just not true at all. Very, very simple. They, had re they went around, they recorded 
lots of different actors saying a few lines from around the world. And then they, what they wanted to do was try and pick a sound, an accent that kind of worked with how the creature looked. And the Nemoidians have no noses. And there's something about that he recorded, I think, three or four Thai actors. And there's just the way in which they speak. We all have different, we, we resonate at different parts of our, of our face and our body. So the American accent, for, for example, is a very nasal accent. You guys are really like up here and, and, <laughs> and we're much more down in the throat. We resonate here in the throat. The Thai accent also resonates up in the, in the nasal cavities, but it kind of sounds like it's slightly blocked. And they, he recorded these three actors and it sounded like they were kind of quite nasal but blocked, like, you know, like their kind of noses were blocked. And he thought that sounded quite good with the fact that the Nemoidians had no noses. And that's as simple as it gets. After that, we played around with various different kinds of, um, we thought of different actors. And, and I, I, I landed upon Peter Laurie, who was, you know, a kind of classic um, actor who is, it was American, but originally I think was from Hungary. And he had this very sort of um, uh, obsequious way of sort of doing his evil characters, you know. So I brought that kind of element into it because Newt Gunray is nothing if not obsequious. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's no hero. No. You know, he's a slug. Oh, yeah. yeah. You kind of pull all these elements in together. And that's how we, you know, we came up with the voice. But also the physicality of it, the kind of... <laughs> yeah, that sort yes. of physicality. Sniveling, groveling at times. Very slimy. Yeah. yeah. And all of that was determined by the look of him, really. Now, I, I'm assuming you probably delivered your lines on set in the prosthetics. And was that was an animatronic face, right? Did, did someone have yeah. to actually move the mouth as you were acting out your scenes? Yeah, it was crazy. Like throughout the three movies, the whole technology of the animatronics completely changed. And it was amazing to see, uh, again, as we were saying about George, you know, he's a, he's a technological innovator. And everybody who's working around him, they're not only using this new technology they built, they're rebuilding it as they go along. And so it was with the animatronics. So at the beginning, they had this extraordinary kind of you know, motorized mouth with these pins that came through. And as the pins move around, they, they moved the, the very soft um, prosthetic of his mouth. And it was hard from here around. So on the first movie, The Phantom Menace, I had a little microphone inside, I had a little earpiece so I could hear better what the other guys were saying on set. Um, and as I spoke... <laughs> the guys across from me, like, you know, they would be behind cameras, maybe like five yards away, had these little remote <laughs> things, like, you know, like, like, like you're playing PlayStation. You know? And they were oh, trying yeah. to move them like this. And they had learned the lines as well. So they're trying to make the right, you know, the right sound. So when I go, they go, the lips go, as opposed to, you know, <laughs> And it was just, it was crazy, you know, so it didn't work all that well. There's a lot of like funny lip syncing. Did you do any ADR for that then or yeah. they took it live from the so set? You couldn't hear anything, okay. you know, like mm -hmm. it was just coming out muffled. So then we ADR'd the whole thing. Then the second one, 
what they did was they managed to synthesize the um, the lips so that if you made a recording, then the the pins could move oh, okay. the lips according okay. to the recording. That's so then incredible. we would have somebody else speak, and I had pre-recorded the lines. They would just play the line. So I'm just in the thing where I was going, <laughs> that also didn't really work very much. By the third time, what they had managed to do was get the technology so that you have a little microphone inside and the lips move as you're speaking and they have learned, the computers learned all of the different sounds wow. and all the movements that go with that different sounds. Wow. Amazing. And, and to put that into perspective, that, that was probably what a, a six-year time frame they went from having to use remote controls to it literally learning what Silas was saying and, and translating it to the mouth movements. Yeah. yeah. Insane. It was amazing. Insane. I'm so- but we were watching this, you know, throughout the whole process. I mean, the green screens, the monitors, everything was 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 changing around us, you know, and just getting better and better and better. And they had more and more. They're just boys with toys. Right. They had more and more gadgets to play with. These did, did you like amazing. that as an actor where you, you essentially had to come in and everything was different between each movie? Or would you prefer to just have a repetitive routine and process? I loved it. I love all of that stuff. I love the innovation of it. You know, yep. it, um, I'm just constantly amazed by how creative people are and how it's, much people want to play with stuff, you know. It's probably one of the few times in your acting career or anybody's where you, you got to see technological advances happen in real time throughout a three-movie stretch. Because if you think about it, you know, current movies now – they, they still have some changes, but George was literally building technology that people would be using for decades after all in, in one shot. So that had to be a pretty special experience. Yeah, it is. It is quite amazing to, to see that. I mean, that side of it is, is, is not my job. You know, my job is something else and my job constantly adapts to what's going on around. But, you know, like I said, I love that kind of stuff. I love the adaptation on it. It's very different working in that way than, going and working on stage or doing a little bit of storytelling in a forest or, you know, doing an animation or a video game voiceover or something like that. There's loads of different formats and media that we play with as actors. But just to watch these guys to, you know, and I'm, I was always asking questions, what is this doing? What is that doing? When you press that, what happens? And, you know. Did they ever let you play I, with the remote controls to move your character's face around? <laughs> or, or were they like, yeah, no, yeah, it yeah. costs too much money, don't break it? <laughs> you will, you know, a, a bit of one and a bit of the other, actually. You know, sometimes they're like, yeah, play around this thing. It's something like you're never allowed to go near this. Gotcha. <laughs> Do you have any Newt Gunray heads sitting in your home right now? Did- I don't have anything that I could have taken away no from. No props, not even your lightsaber. You didn't even bring back key. Oh, okay. All right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they didn't take anything. I've told this story about the, the whole lightsaber handle because they designed different handles for each of us, you know? And, um, and it was so funny because we would, we would film fights and stuff with a handle with uh, a, a, a stick coming out of it that had a green, you know, like green screen around it so that you could do all of the movements and you could actually fight each other and you knew where you were fighting. And then they would just green screen that out and, you know, CGI the 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 the, the lightsaber right. on it, but there were times when we're just sitting with our lightsabers, you know, on our belts, and then 
the, the props master would come along. And I kid you not, it was like this beautiful sort of oak box that they had made for the handle, for the lightsaber handle. And they would, they would come along and they would open up, you know, and I was allowed to take it off me and put it onto my costume. <laughs> Every time we finished a, a, a take, you know, or perhaps if there wasn't much time in between takes, we would finish a scene. They would come along with the box. They could like put it back in. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like the Fort Knox. Yeah, it's it's like the money guy. Go put it in the safe. Come yeah, to yeah, lock yeah. him down for the night. I have a feeling you and McGregor yeah. probably lifted one off the set. I don't know. I'm sure you and McGregor lifted loads of stuff off. <laughs> you never know <laughs> about that guy. Yeah. You and McGregor's terrible. <laughs> Uh, propensity to be a thief uh, uh, I can't possibly comment <laughs> uh, so Silas you, you trained at, at the drama center if, if I if I got yeah. my research correct so exactly. did, did you envision yeah. being more of a, a a theater actor or did you always want to do screen or even you know the the voice work that you do I mean what what was your initial like when like you said you're at 17 you kind of got the acting bug via high school or, or doing a, a play uh, at school and then you went into it. Uh, did you want to be a stage actor or were you like, Hey, I'll, I'll do whatever, whatever pays the bills. Yeah. Uh, I, I, of course I wanted to do, uh, whatever. Um, I love working in theater. I also love working in TV and, and film. You know, I, I've loved everything that I do. I don't really have a preference at the end of the day. Uh, there are certain choices that you make based on your lifestyle. You know, like you can't be doing theater all of your life because it doesn't pay that well. You can't be doing uh, movies all of the time because you don't get to be at home. You can't be doing television series all of the time because, you know, uh, over a long period of time, that's extremely hard work and you need a bit of a break from that medium. And on film and TV, you don't get the rehearsal time to build as you do in a theater so you make your choices depending on what it is that you kind of want in your in your life right now. But all of the media I wanted to play around with, I wanted to find out about. Um, like I said earlier on, I'm interested in all different forms of storytelling. Right. Yeah. So I'll go with anything that's there. My one criterion is that the script is good and that the story is worth telling and it's something that I feel that I would like to do. So... I don't talk things that, you know, I, the only choice I'll make, uh, I'll say no to is if I don't particularly want to work with that script. For Star Wars then, were you given a script or was it more like, hey, Star Wars is interested, Silas, go and, go and audition? Uh, I, I was given a, a script initially to uh, consider, you know, Kiadi and Newt and, and I read it. But again, you know, you, you're not going to go wrong with George and you're not going to go wrong with this franchise. Right. Uh, there was lots of changes made. A lot of it was kind of, you know, um, making the choice in good faith. But when you're, when you have to have faith in a person like George Lucas, it's, it's easy. When you, when, yeah. when you got the nod, you get the call or I don't know, maybe it was live there with Robin and George. What, yeah. what was that feeling like? I mean, were you just, floored was your mind blown were you calling people like hey i just i just booked star wars i booked the new star wars or were you like hey you know well, I'm, I'm good i'm good i, I deserve this yeah 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 i um <laughs> well i don't want to burst your bubble around this but you know 
because I, I, I recognize that it's a huge world for people and it's an you know, amazing thing to think of being in something like that. But at the end of the day, it's my job, you know, and, uh, and when, the, when the decision comes like through, you know, when, when the offer comes through, I'm always excited about work that I'm doing. But it's not like it blows my mind. You know, my, my first thought is, right, I've got to get on and do some work now. Right. You know, so when I go into a room, and I have worked with some amazing people. I've been extremely privileged to work with some legendary people in my career. But at the end of the day, you don't go into the room thinking, oh, my God, I'm in a room with George Lucas or I'm in a room with, uh, you know, um, Christopher Lee or... I worked recently, I did a TV series a few years ago with Donald Sutherland. You don't go in there going, oh, oh my God, it's Donald Sutherland. You go in and go, you know, this is the guy that I'm working. These are the people that I'm working with. And we're all here as a family. We've all come together to create this story. And, you know, I have a part in this. Uh, I have a a say in all of this if I'm going to be part of the whole process. So you see each other as equals straight away. Okay. And, of course, you're happy when the job comes along. But this part of your brain just clicks into right. Next thing is got to get this job got done it, with these guys. It's a good job, you know. Yeah. Is would would you say looking back on it, and and obviously you still have a long career ahead of you. But would, do you consider it one of your top gigs, one of your career highlights, doing the Star Wars prequels? Uh, yeah, of course, I, of course, and it just opened up a whole other world to me that I knew nothing about. You know. And yeah, having said what I just said, it is really cool when you go on set and you go, there's Sam Jackson, there's Liam Neeson, you know, and um, just meeting all these guys who are at the top of their game, you know, of course that was, it was, it was just something else. Have you, and it was, have you, it's amazing what's opened up to me. Have you stayed in touch with any, uh, any of the castmates, any of the cast members or even... Uh, some of the crew from from your Star Wars days, or I know you you all probably go your different ways and different projects. But did you maintain any any friendships from your your Star Wars work? Yeah, yes, I did for a while. I mean, you know, the the thing about our profession is that you become very very close to people. You know, you you're you're a creative family for a while, um, but you are together for a short amount of time in your life, and there are lots of these families that you build. So what tends to happen is that you become good friends with people for a while. You can't contain all of those people in your day-to-day life. So those friendships become great memories. And then every once in a while, you might work with somebody again, you know, and then that, that sparks up. But yeah, for a number of years, I maintained, you know, uh, a, a good few friendships. And I still see people on the circuit, which is lovely. You know, that part of it is great. We're always catching up with each other. Yeah, yeah. And I have you have that that shared people. history, so it, it probably is like seeing long last friends or a college buddy or even someone you, you knew and mm-hmm. uh, when you were kids. I could imagine once you get around it's each exact- other, all those memories come back and, and the conversations just start flowing. Yeah, exactly. And you remember all those great times you had on set, and you do pinch yourself still and go like, "Did we do that? We did that, didn't we? We actually did that." So, yeah, you know, I made some good friendships. Um, I'm not in touch with absolutely everybody that I was, but we, we see each other still every once in a while. All right. So, you you know, you go from horse opera, which was your first big, big time (laughs) project, right? And I think in 93 and then six years later, you're, you're starring in, in a star Wars film. So that's a hell of a trajectory. 
but did, did you know you were going to get multiple roles when you auditioned for Star Wars? I, no. No, right? It was no, going for the pilot and that got scrapped. And- yeah, yeah. I went up for this, for this pilot scene and then, uh, and then, you know, shortly afterwards they came back. Robin phoned up and said, look, that, that pilot is no longer there, but there are a couple of other little roles. But it, at the moment... George is wanting to recreate this scene and he needs some, some actors to recreate the scene as they're building how they're going to okay. work the camera. Okay. Uh, and it was the scene where um, uh, Jar Jar and Qui-Gon and um, the, the three of them go down into, I can't remember the name of the waters now, they, they dive down into this, into this deep water and they need to recreate that or plan that. So the three of us went in and Robin called me and said, would you be happy to come and do this for a couple of days? I was like, I'd love to. And whilst I was there, that's when she showed me around oh, the okay. creature department. And on the second day, George came to me and said, listen, you know, there's, a, there's this little pilot scene, you know, it's, it's not quite as big as what we were looking at beforehand. It's just a few lines and stuff, but I'd love you to come and do that for a day. Brona Gallagher is going to be doing it as well. I love Brona Gallagher. It's like, I'd love to do that. And then Robin showed me the creature department. And I said to her, what's this? And she said, Kiadi As I said, she's like, have you ever done prosthetic work? And I went, no, I've done that. You know, would you like Sign to? Sign me up. Yeah. So then we did a prosthetics test to see, you know, like if I could work with it, if I was claustrophobic or not. Uh, we did that. We started to play around with some of the um, uh the kind of the storylines of Kiadi and, you know, do a few kind of like screen tests around that. And then I said to her rather cheekily, I don't really want to do prosthetics work unless I get to do the voice as well. And she said, well, your voice will already be heard in your face character, which is Lieutenant Williams. And I was like, yeah, but you should listen to my voice tape because I've got a very versatile voice. And she went, Okay. I was actually going to ask, did, do you feel like you, you, you kind of earned those roles due to your voice work and the ability to create different characters through your voice? Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, there's a different kind of ownership. I think when you're playing the whole character, you're voicing it as well, rather than just being in it. There's a different kind of ownership. And I was quite determined about that ownership when uh, Robin also asked me. So I was already doing Kiadi. And she said, would you be interested in, in being inside one of the Nemoidians? And I said, I, not unless I can do the voice. And she was like, come on, Siler. <laughs> I was like, Robin, you could, you've heard how versatile I am. Let's play around with some accents and stuff, which we did. And then she played the, the recordings of me messing about to George. And George was like, he can do this. Let's just get him to do yeah. it. Because he knows these characters. That's how I ended up, you know, I was, I was pretty pushy about that. I really wanted to to play the whole of the character, yeah. not just be inside it while somebody else voiced it. So you know? some of it was circumstantial, like, hey, we need someone to stand in, but but a lot of it was just you, you know, promoting yourself, selling your skill set, putting yourself out there, like, hey, I can do this for you all if you give me the chance. So I hope, I hope people are listening to this. Yeah. I mean, once you get your foot in the door, shoot for the stars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. They just say, they say right. no. Right. Then you're in exactly the same position you are right now. And <laughs> look where it got you. It got you four roles. Two of them, I, I, I'd say, yeah. are quite major roles. I mean, they're, they're characters that are still yeah. discussed to this day in, in Kiati and yeah. Newt. So, 
And I get to be in a scene where I'm talking to myself. Yes. <laughs> you gotta like that. I just, I, I have thoughts of the end of WandaVision right now with, and I don't want to spoil it yeah. for anyone, but Paul Bettany essentially doing something very similar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Out of your roles, yeah. I mean, I, I guess let's just stick to the two main ones. What one did you consider the most difficult to play? And that, that could be from any angle, wearing the costume, the, the physical aspect, yeah. the, the, the accent. Yeah, I would say that it was it was Newt actually because um, because that costume and and the headset was very very uncomfortable. You know, Kiadi, it was a long time in makeup, four and a half hours to get all of that on, and an hour and a half to take it off. So they were long days. You know, when you're traveling to set and you're doing a twelve hour day on set. You know, uh, I was I was coasting on like three to four hours sleep a night whilst I was doing that. But it's okay being tired. You know, um, I got to just sit and meditate in the, in that chair while they put the makeup on. But when I was on set, you know, that stuff was incredibly light. The whole head was incredibly light, almost felt by the end of the day, like I didn't even have it on. So, you know, it was comfortable working. Whereas with Newt, you know, this was like a, a motorized motorbike helmet going over my head, you know, like just oh, over I can't my whole imagine. face. I can't imagine. With all these wires and this whirring and noise. And Could you, you know, even breathe? I mean, whether there were like, was there an air tube, uh, a water tube? I mean. You guys must have seen those pictures of them feeding us air. You know, we got yeah. those, those tubes and every once in a while between takes, they put the rubber tubes in to give us air. And, you know, as soon as they took it away, we probably had about, 10 to 12 minutes, maybe 20 minutes at an absolute push of comfort to be able to work. After that, you start to get giddy with the bad air. Yeah, it just it would, it would affect the performance too much. So they had to give you, had to yeah. give you breathers. Uh, un, unbelievable. Yeah, it, and a heavy backpack and a very heavy costume. So, And George was great. You know, he would shoot things and coordinate things so that we were just in these things for about 20 minutes. And then we'd have a a little break and come back to it. But that was hard work. That was hard work. So yeah. I, I know you're a, you're a taller gentleman. So with, with Key's yeah. head piece strapped on, that had to be hitting, what, over seven feet? Yeah, Were yeah, like, totally. Did I'm people six... have to watch you so you weren't hitting hitting doors and whatnot? I, or? I was constantly walking into doors. <laughs> like I said, I just forget that it's yeah. there. And, of course, it didn't hurt because it was just – it was rubber, but it would just start to pull. You know, probably mess up, mess up the makeup a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They were always having to touch it up. Always walking into stuff. But yeah, that would have, I'm six foot four. That was probably a good eight or nine inches. Jeez, on that, so. yeah, that had to be. I would imagine during like the the stunt choreography, did you have to account for that thing whipping around, or because it was so light, you it just felt natural as part of your body? And it's, yeah, totally. I mean, it's the lightest thing. It's just you know like basically that inside is just two balls of foam and then they built the foam around that and it would slip over my head. It was shaped perfectly to sit on my head, slip over and the first pieces would glue down to there and then down to there. And then there were separate pieces to do the rest of the face. So it glued that bit on and it just, it didn't feel like I had anything on my head. Light as air, amazing technology. And your skin can breathe through that stuff. So they glue it on and it doesn't feel uncomfortable. 
know, I, it's I figured just, it almost be like wearing band-aids or something the way you, you rip it off and you get all irritated and you, you like you said your skin can't breathe through it but it doesn't sound that was the case so yeah no 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 it was it was very very comfortable uh yeah then it would take a while to get it off and it, it would sting a little bit because they've got this glue all over it so they had to put the solvent in between just to get the glue off so it would take time, but it was very comfortable. So yeah, always banging into stuff. <laughs> For you personally, is there is there one prequel scene in particular that, that stands out to you? Either one you were in or just one from the three movies that you're like, I'm really proud of our team for what we did here in this in this scene. Uh I think it's the fights actually. I mean, it was amazing to, you know, to to bring Ray Park in. Ah. See see double lightsabers and you know see those fights that did you um, were, were you on set when they filmed let's just say the phantom menace when when ray was there and they filmed the big uh naboo fight did did you get to watch any I, of that on set i i came in oh to watch yeah. It, yeah how great was that yeah 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 it was just it was it was incredible i mean those guys did an amazing job and and they worked really hard i mean you know ray is already a really really good martial arts um, practitioner by then, but what Ewan had to learn, you know, I mean, he worked really hard. It was, you know, I was just, it was just great to watch those guys working. Really. Yeah, I, I could, I could see that being a perk working on star Wars and uh, on days like that or scenes like that coming in. And uh, I, I don't know if yeah. you stuck around when, when Hayden donned the Vader suit and revenge of the Sith to, to watch him walk out on set and that I know he had just, wasted your character a few scenes before that but it, you know what i mean <laughs> watching those scenes play out in real time and not watching the yeah. finished product had to be something else yeah yeah exactly how, yeah. how was Carry how on. was filming your your death scene you know kiati mundi's death scene at the end because like if you if you watch those movies at the end you get so attached to the jedi characters and i know us as fans you know we watch it and we see kiati die and it like it hits us was there a moment for you where it's like oh man like this character that i built and put so much into this is the time that that he's over now um i don't think about that i don't think about this the time that it's over um you just as i said earlier you get on you do your job you got you know you i never really spend time thinking this is the last scene or this is the last time i'll be on this set okay. i just spend thinking you know time thinking about what needs to happen here. And, uh, you know, Nick Gillard was our amazing fight coordinator. And Nick knew that I had a theater background and uh, he came up to me and he said, have you ever done any kind of, you know, combat like this before? And I went, the only thing I've really done um, is I've done some sword fighting on, on stage. And that's different because of course it's mostly single handed. And everybody else is using their lightsaber with, you know, with two hands. And he said, well, what are you comfortable with? And I went, if we, if we can do some single-handed stuff, you know, that would be great. And I, it would be different. And he said, yeah, I mean, what's it, you know, show me some moves that you've got and just show me some attack moves and some defensive moves. And he said, okay, we don't need to, you know, impose too much upon you here. He said, you move very naturally. So what I want you to do is just go out there and have some fun. George came up to me and he said, <laughs> just, I want you to imagine that there's bullets coming okay. at you. Every yeah. And he said, all I want you to do is, you know, just do a whole load of attacks and a whole load of defenses and think about people coming from different angles. 
And I was like, do you need to, me to pinpoint particular places where these guys are going to be? And he went, nah. He said, you just do your stuff, have fun, just know where the camera is. And he said, we will paint everything in there afterwards. Like, yeah. Wow, you can do that? And he said, we can do anything, Silas. So, you know, it was, I was just basically in this massive room with a green screen and me just going down, down, down. Just, That's great. Just this crazy stuff. I was going to ask what it was like working with George and if he ever, you know, personally directed you. So I'm glad you, you brought up that moment, yeah. but that, it sounds very uh, similar to how I, I've heard other cast members talk about George's directing, which is very minimal. Uh, yeah. Just, he, I, I don't know. I, 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 the way I've heard other actors talk about, it, I think some actors would prefer more, more direction from a director where others may prefer how, how George seemingly does it, where like you said, he's like, Hey George, what do you want me to do? He's like, just go out and have a good time and swing it around and, and we'll fill in, we'll, we'll paint in the CGI. Uh, did you, did you yeah. like his, his approach to directing? Well, I mean, uh, you, as far as I'm concerned, you recognize that different directors on different kinds of um, projects have different jobs. So with something like Star Wars, you're working with somebody who is working mostly with the technology and, you know, and the actors too. Whereas if you go into a rehearsal room in a theater, those directors are working only with the actors in the room. And then afterwards they might have production meetings, but they're not dealing with all these other people. So you have to recognize that people have lots of different things to be doing. So if George was not paying attention to something that I might want to pay attention to, like, you know, I might want to improvise a scene, he might say, I don't have time for that. We've got to pull all these other elements in as well. So then at that point, you know, whoever you're dealing with, you have to adapt to the way in which they're working. So there's always this kind of compromise between how you like to work and how other people like to work. You find the bit in the middle. And this is true of anywhere in life, isn't it? We all have different right. techniques how we go about working and you have to recognize that you know depending on what people's different techniques are their different approaches their different perspectives but also what their what their needs are you have to adapt to all of that i never found it a problem i you know whatever i had to ask george something about the script or the character direction or you know the kind of the story arc of the character or some backstory that that you know meant something to me he was very, very approachable. Okay. He may not have brought that stuff up himself. Did he, did, did, you know? um, I guess, did he ever get into nerdy conversations with you where he, he may over explain a scene or was he usually just to the point, left it pretty wide open and let you actors do your thing? Yeah, he was very, he was very to the point. Um, you know, he, um, uh, he gave us a lot of leeway, which I particularly like. I mean, he trusted that we were, we were doing our jobs and we were going to do our jobs properly. And then, you know, he would tweak things or change things a little bit, but you know, more often than not, he's like, show me something, bring me something, you know? And I love working in that way because then it gives you scope, you know, like for instance, the way in which I characterized Kiadi, he said nothing about it other than I love what you're doing. Just carry on with that. Thank you. Did yeah. he give you freedom with the dialogue too, or was it you had to stick to the script? Stick to the script. Okay. No, no change yeah, in the words. The, no, sometimes I might suggest something. You, you know, you always do. Uh, you know, if if you feel that um, 
if you feel that something isn't quite working, your insider character didn't quite make sense to you. But that world is very specific. You know, it's not like working with a writer in, in theatre where you're, you're creating a world you all don't quite know yet. George's world is very, very specific. You know, so he was a little bit more, right. you know, he was just, a, 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 he wanted us to be a bit more attuned to what he was writing, but that wasn't to say that he was inflexible. It's just that it was already there, really, and it's, you know, it's a kind of part of, a, of something that he's already worked out. Excellent. Well, Sias, I know we're coming up on our hour, so I, I don't want to, to push you uh, beyond that, but I have one more question if you'd be willing to answer. Um, I guess, do you personally have any just memorable moments from working on Star Wars that every once in a while you might just reflect on maybe up at night, drinking a glass of wine, having a beer and just sitting there and be like, man, that was a blast back then in in the nineties or the early two thousands. Like I'm going to go watch Phantom Menace right now just because of that feeling. I mean, do you, do you have a memorable (laughs) moment from, from your experience working on the Star Wars movies? Yeah, there were I mean, so many memorable moments. You know, one of the loveliest things for me was being in Australia, working in Australia for, for two movies. And that was like, a, and we were all there together, away from home. So it was, you know, it was like a paid holiday, really. Um, but for me, the most memorable thing was right at the beginning of The Phantom Menace, when Yoda was still being um, uh, puppeteered, manipulated is the proper word, uh, by Frank Oz on set, you know, before they started to CGI right. him. That was magical because, you know, um, when I was a kid, here's a story. I've shared this before. Uh, when I was a kid, the Muppets, I, I was so into the Muppets. The Muppets were huge, you know, and um, <laughs> my paternal grandmother, very Edwardian lady, she was very proper, Um she would come to visit us, but she wouldn't often spend that much time with us kids. You know, she kind of, um, she preferred to, she was quite a quiet lady, you know, and she was quite proper and she, she didn't want loads of noisy kids running around the place. <laughs> you know, we loved her very much, but I'm well with that. But we would sit down in front of the television every time the Muppets came on, she and I, and she absolutely loved the Muppets. And so did I. So I remember just sitting, you know, curled up next to my grandma watching the Muppets together. And it was the only, like, you know, really intimate part of our relationship. Everything else was quite prescribed. But that time that we had together was really special to me. And it was the time when it was just me and her. Nobody else was particularly interested in them in in the house. She and I spent, you know, this very kind of intimate time together. So there I am on The Phantom Menace. and, um, And they bring in the puppet of Yoda. And, and I'm, you know, just wondering, where is he? And, of course, they built the set up so that Frank can be underneath. Frank was doing the head and I think the left hand. And he had a young puppet, puppeteer in, a, a woman whose name I forget now, but she was so excited to be working with him because he of would course, have been one of her American, heroes. Yeah. yeah, doing the right hand. And, of course, you know, he's mic'd up underneath the stage and that voice starts up. <laughs> And I'm doing this scene and I'm sitting right next to Yoda, you know, right. I've got Sam Jackson on, on this side of me and I've got Yoda on this side and I'm talking to Liam Neeson. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's just incredible. And, and the voice starts off, Frank's voice starts off and I'm just like, ah, oh, 
I was thrown right back to those days. So, um, and of course, I had all my prosthetics on, which I never came out of until the end of the day. So quite a few people didn't actually get to meet or see me as I look, you know. And Frank and I, we were just, you know, on a tea break and we're kind of chatting away. And, and uh, he said to me, hi, in there, I can't see what you look like. Uh, I know your name's Silas. I'm Frank. And I went, yeah, I know you're Frank, you know. And he said, um, I'm kind of really intrigued to see what you'll look like after this. And I went, well, you'll have to wait until we finish shooting. And, I, and I, a couple of hours after that, till like, I'm out of this. I said, have you got a photograph of yourself? And I went, no, but we're on set together tomorrow. I'll bring you one. So I bring him a photograph of myself. And he went, you know, he was kind of joking. And, and I brought him on. He went, oh, my God. Oh, that, that's, you did. Uh, he said, oh, my God, you're so handsome. <laughs> I'm what, I'm, like, thank you very much, Frank. Just, you know, so we kind of warmed to each other. And I, and I just said to him, I don't often do this. I said, you know, I work with all kinds of people all the time. And it can be a little bit, you know, um, cheeky to, to kind of say to people that you're a big hero of mine. But I wanted the story of me and my grandmother watching the Muppets oh. together. I told him the story and, he, and I said, so thank you because you're responsible for bringing, you know, this right. wonderful little intimacy and the shared cultural moment into, into the relationship with me and my grandmother. And he just was like, that is such a lovely story. I want to spend time with you when you don't have all your prosthetics on. Can we go for lunch sometime? Oh boy. <laughs> Look at this. I was like, I'd love to. So the next time he said, well, listen, I'm on set in a couple of days' time, he said, you're not on the schedule, but if you come in then, we can, we can have lunch together. You know, where you can come up to my dressing room and we'll have lunch together. And, and so we did. And I remember just spending like an hour and a half talking to him, you know. And that, to me, that was really magical because I was sharing something intimate from my past with a legend right. who I happened to be on set with you know that was no, that that's that's really, fantastic that very, what, what a story yeah. it, it's like i say, you just once you get an opportunity like that you truly do not know where it is going to take you or who you're going to exactly. meet or what you're going to be getting into and and that was just a, a yeah. fantastic little anecdote so and it's a, it's a nice little circle to bring us back to the beginning because the story at the beginning was like you know so were you a big fan of Star Wars before this? And no. I was like, I didn't Star Wars, but about Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Muppets and Star Wars kind of go hand in hand. You know, Mark Mark Hamill worked with the Muppets. So, you know, they're, they're not too far off in terms of franchises. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. All right, Silas. Uh, again, I, I can't thank you enough for, for giving us an hour of your time. I know it, it's getting late over there, so we do want to let you go. You, you, you've said it all. You told us some great tales. Uh, I, I know currently you're, you're doing some voice work on a video game, Squadron 42. Is there anything else we could let people people know to check out that you're involved with? Uh, just over here at the moment, I did a, uh, a, a TV show uh, before Christmas, and I've just finished performing an online theater piece, which was extraordinary, really. Like, you know, we're talking about innovation at the moment, how people are writing little plays. I did a two-man play which uh, performed and filmed, live streamed on my phone. Wow. It was a phone conversation with somebody else, you know. Um, so just stuff that's homegrown at the moment, that's over here. Um, you know, things have been quiet during this whole period. Things are starting to pick up at the moment. So there's a lot of auditioning. And, um, you know, right now, there's, there's nothing international happening for me. 
just a few homegrown projects, but things are starting to pick up. Yeah, so. we, we have we actually have a pretty decent following over there in the UK. So you never yeah. know. We're we're here for you. We we we've got a contact. So if you ever have anything you want us to share or write about, we'd be more than happy to help out. Yeah. Bless you. I will do. Thank you very much indeed. So, yeah. Thanks again, Silas. It, it was awesome talking with you. Uh, again, I just, just appreciate it. Like I said, a huge, huge fan of yours. Love the characters you've created in Star Wars. And again, thank you for talking thank to our, t- or, or, or our fans. Much appreciated. Not at all. It's a, it's, a, it's a great pleasure to be here. And it's a lovely way to do things because at the moment, you know, I can't meet any of the fans. You know, the, the conventions aren't happening. Hopefully, touch wood soon all of that will start to come back but for the meantime you know look after yourselves yeah. everybody and it's been a great way to be able to reach out and say we're all still here i'm looking forward to seeing you again soon thank you sir have a good night appreciate you bless you take good care look after See you yourselves. now thank, thank you silas bye. all right ladies and gentlemen how was that that was fun. That was fun. What did you think about that? That was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Silas was awesome. So he was just so fun to talk to. The stories that he told were incredible um, and really gave you insight into the production and the making of those movies. I mean, it doesn't seem like uh, it, it seemed like it was a very fun experience. And for, for people like us who are just, you know, fans, we only see it from the exterior to have somebody who did play pivotal roles in these movies, you know, uh, Newt, Newt Gunray is essentially positioned to you in, in, in episode one as, Hey, look, this is what you can expect from the villains in this movie. It's the first bad guy you encounter. He was responsible for it all. He was, he was Sidious's kind of the, the, the linchpin to get his plan and acted uh i know newt's yeah. kind of a dingbat but that's why i love him and wow that was just i'm kind of shaking a little bit you know i, w- I was yeah. nervously anxious to do the interview <laughs> uh but afterwards i'm just i'm kind of riding a high uh, riding a high right now i can't yeah. even talk like that was just fucking great <laughs> it was it was incredible and it, you know uh, to have somebody like silas come on here and, and give us an hour of his time and tell us the stories and be as <laughs> magnanimous like... and as as friendly as he was is really incredible you gotta so be kidding me i hope the people <laughs> yeah i hope the people in the live stream uh really enjoyed that and i hope the people who are going to be listening or uh you know on podcast platforms or watching on youtube enjoy it as well um because it was really a treat for us to be able to do that yeah. i mean like for 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 matt and i Get you know some. we we were trying not to not to fanboy out as much, as much as possible it's hard but but he helped nick because he you know he'd be like hey, yeah. hey calm down you know it's like you guys are going to be kind of shocked but i didn't even give a shit about star wars before getting into it no yeah. he was a what what very a lovely man. I mean, just just yes. a very easy to talk to. <laughs> Before we went live, of course, we had fucking tech issues uh, with him <laughs> yeah. on the damn calls. And, and, and he sat through that and wasn't, you know, wasn't like, hey, you fucking idiots. Let's go. <sighs> I got to take very... a few deep breaths. I'm just man. That felt awesome. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Star Wars time show. Look what we just fucking did. And people Incredible still won't stuff. care. And we'll still only have about 10 fans on the live stream. But hey, we love you. <laughs> we produce. Uh, I got to give Spencer Barron credit for that one. 
that would that yeah. was a full get on Spencer's part. Uh, ever since we brought him on as PR, at this point, he's essentially a, a show producer. He's not really booking, booking yeah, agent. He, he's <laughs> a fucking producer. He's our Baba Booey. If you listen to the Stern Show, we, we just got to start making fun of him on air more or uh, make up a nickname for him. But he he is our Baba Booey. He was given a charge like, hey, go find us some guests. Uh, we know we can probably get people from the community. That's not a problem. Uh, but he, again, just went out and lined up Silas. He's got Natalie Cox coming, hopefully in April from uh, Force Unleashed fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working on Nick Gillard for the summer. Yeah, who who Silas actually talked about in his interview. So, be very yeah, that was good. That was great. I needed to get that under my belt. I feel good now, but I'm still I, just, I got like so much nervous energy in me. I'm like, I know, right? We, we still have a whole show to do. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck. Yeah, we did uh, it. We great. did it. We had a legit Star Wars actor on here. I mean, not that Dom wasn't legit, but, he, you know, he's an extra. This this was a major actor main actor main characters jedi and bad guys i mean you couldn't ask for anything more uh in terms of our first real deal star wars actor guest so truly good job spencer uh you're not going to get a promotion or anything special but thank you that was great it turned out awesomely hopefully you get to listen all right dude let's move on so i can kind of get my uh nerves under control here (laughs) <laughs> I still am, uh, yeah, get, I still am shaking a little bit. Uh, before we get in, come back down. Before we get into the topics, I, I, I do have a little bit of just shooting the shit to deal with. I mean, I, I'm not going to take too long because we already went an hour, and we know we're, we'll be approaching at least the three hour mark with this show. Uh, but a few items of note that I, I thought are interesting, and you know, it's just it's sci-fi things happen. But uh, the Clone Wars chronological rewatch has continued. I, I tip Nick off to this one. Uh, but they they literally blow up the fucking slave one. The the slave one blows up in the Clone Wars. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know if they're actually ever gonna address that. I, like, I know I, I'm making yeah. a mountain out of a molehill, but it, it's just it, it's yeah. funny how how a bit more free they were in the cartoons to make choices like that because they could just draw back. I mean, I, I'm talking about the episode where we think our thing gets taken out because they, they blow up the slave one and it crashes. We know she comes back and she's like, oh, they freed me from the wreckage. But I guess I just I, I forgot that the slave one at one point in time maybe wasn't as destroyed as the Razor Crest, but it definitely blew the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. So it they did kind of allow themselves a lot of leeway in the cartoons (laughs) because they figured they were like, well, you know, as far as we know, there's no plan for George to make anything that, you know, after, so let's just play in the sandbox. And, you know, we, we have the ability to basically say, yeah, it blew up, but you saw it again in the, in the original trilogy. So it, you you know, it comes back, you know, it's going to be fine. So we don't have to explain how it gets put back together. I I just thought it was interesting. And that, that's actually (laughs) one of the great threads. It's, it's the first time you get the young Boba thing. He infiltrates the endurance, basically fucks it up. But the other thing I wanted to say, and, and again, maybe I just need to get over my Bozo Boba shit from the movies because he is a Bozo in the movies. There's no arguing against that. But even in the Clone Wars, yes, he was pissed at Mace. Yes, he, he, he fell in with, with bounty hunters and was doing some shady shit. But you could see even then that Boba wasn't just a, a heartless killing machine. He was not a robot because uh, he felt remorse when he stranded those other 
essentially his brothers, right? I mean, they, they're genetically yeah. modified versions of him, the cadets. but, but they're still yeah. Django sperm, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he felt bad. And, and even by the time he, he kind of gets arrested and, and locked up by the, by the Jedi and the Republic, he seems somewhat remorseful. Like he's willing to go into their custody. Uh, it's just, it's been a while since I saw those and Hey, everyone knows my, my history with Boba Fett. Uh, so when I can give them some props, I'm going to give them some props. I, 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 they, they definitely set up Neo Boba in the clone wars. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, they were they were planting the seeds already. Right. They knew that eventually this character was going to have to come back around. Uh, and whether that be through George resurrecting him in his own way before the, the sale to Disney or, or, or something else, you know, he I, I feel like there was always a, a post episode six plan for Boba Fett. And you got you kind of got a little bit of that in the old EU, the expanded universe novels, video games, stuff like that. But um, you're really starting to see the vision for Boba yeah. Fett play out. Well, now that you it's, have the I mean, also just from what we got from Mando with his dad, I, I mean, Django yeah. wasn't always a scumbag either. I mean, Django no. earned earned his Mandalorian heritage by being a foundling. He he fought with them. We we think that he was a se- essentially in what Jocasta's uh, clan, uh, this, that, and the other thing. So, I mean, Django was a somewhat good he was an honorable mandalorian i mean if you if you were to believe the stories that were told that you know aren't canon anymore i mean he became the mandalore of the true faction of mandalorians that were you know during the mandalorian civil wars and stuff like that like the character that you see of jango fett in the movies is definitely a little bit less you know he he definitely is more of a scoundrel type of character than you, than he was initially. Like there was yeah, he, this, he got a little I don't know if it was greed or, or what. By the time we meet Django and Attack of the Clones, I think he's essentially left Mandalore, left those ways and had become more of a, a true bounty hunter. But I guess the Fets deep down can be good dudes is, is, they can. is how I'm going to summarize that. And the last thing. This is a tip. I know some people are going to roll their eyes because they don't like the way Disney handles these rollouts, but Ryan the Last Dragon is fucking amazing. Well worth the 30 bucks. Come on, people. We were spending more than that if you had a family to go to movies before, you know, the the fuck off time. It's very true. Uh, So when people are like, oh, I already pay the $4 and they're going to make me pay 30 It's like, get over it. Like, just just figure out what life used to be and what it is now. Uh, it is fucking fantastic. Yeah. There's a slight star Wars tie with Kelly Marie Tran, but it is just an excellent Disney movie. It's highly recommended for dads with little girls. It was a tear streamer affair for this guy by the end. I mean, I watched it, dude, we watched it twice, like a kid's cartoon and it was mom and dad wanting to watch it twice. Not Charlie. We, we watched Damn, it Saturday okay. I mean, and, and, you know, Saturday, but Saturday night I watched it. I had a few beers in me, so I wasn't fully paying attention. But by the end, I was like <laughs> fucking couldn't could not uh, elicit enough manpower to choke it down. Nick, it, it, it was so bad, literally <laughs> streaming down my face, like dripping off my chin, that type of emotion. It, it's not dude. That's... it's not necessarily sad, sad, like, oh, it, it's it's that happy, sad. It's it's seeing a girl kind of coming to her own a lot mm-hmm. of and I think it will probably resonate more for for fathers with little girls. But Jesus, 
What a fucking movie. It's yeah. just a good movie. Good action, good music, great characters, and just an overall interesting story. So if you're yeah. on the fence with the 30 bucks, I think it's highly worth it if you got a family. Um, it, it really is one of my favorite Disney movies at this point in time. Damn, that's that's right. impressive. And then obviously you had the WandaVision finale yeah. since the last time. Yeah, I mean, no, uh, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. But, uh, you know, yeah. in the end, I, I really enjoyed WandaVision. I, I'm not going to say it was anything groundbreaking or earth shattering. I don't think they, they bamboozled us like a lot of us were kind of fan predicting. But it was definitely the most unique portrayal of the MCU we've seen to date. They took some risks. Some of the risks may not have paid off for everyone. Uh, but ultimately, it, it finally gave us a continuation of phase four, mm-hmm. which we've lost out on because of the pandemic. And it, yeah. it has fully transitioned Wanda into the character we've always known she is. With Scarlet. Right? Sure. The Scarlet Witch. And it's also has now set up her role in Doctor Strange 2 in the ma- uh, multiverse of madness. Right. I mean, yeah. l- l- let's I, be real, Nick. She is going to be, uh, this is my speculation. There was hints dropped by Agatha. She's more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme, all right? She didn't say that just for fun. Yeah. And at the end, that stinger, she's literally... <laughs> Uh, astral projecting herself going through the book of no no that that agatha said yeah. is bad news so I, i'm guessing and i, I don't think this is a, a far leap but i'd imagine for a good part of dr strange too he's going to be trying to corral the scarlet witch i think yeah. by the end she'll unfuck herself and the true big bad will reveal itself but I do think mm-hmm. a, a bulk of Doctor Strange 2 is not going to be them working together as Avengers. It's going to be him yeah. trying to unfuck some of the Scarlet Witchery going on. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I Scarlet Witch Wanda was one of my favorite characters once she was introduced into the show. I mean, into the, the MCU. And this show was really, like you said, it was different because it was a deep character exploration of Wanda. Yeah, that's all it was, ultimately. Yeah, and that's why I enjoyed it so much because I know that there's so much depth to this character and the way that they built the relationship between Wanda and Vision in the MCU and the painful way that it ended, I, I loved to see how that affected her. And I also just really enjoyed getting even more, you know, more of the backstory filled in. And yes, you know, we know if you're a comic book fan that like she's, they, they really couldn't swing it in a way to where you just bring Magneto in out of nowhere and you, and you retell that story, but still getting to see basically a life filled with trauma and how Wanda went yeah, from I mean, a child of war to where she is now. I thought she it went was off the fucking rails. I mean, there, there's a lot of open-ended shit here. Like how is she not, <laughs> I mean, I guess she is a Scarlet witch. What are they going to do to her? But she essentially held a town hostage for a, yeah. a week or more, a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, but you, you are and right. I mean, the, the, still, the way it was told yeah. that ending where she's deconstructing mm-hmm. Westview, it definitely yeah. hits because you know, I mean, she's, yeah. she's essentially killing off her kids killing off her her lover uh, to, yeah. to finally get get back to reality i see i'm very curious to see too if there's if they're gonna involve white oh, yeah i mean come on in the MCU. he has to because like now if you think about it like he has all the, all memories, the memories just no emotion yeah well and then if he can find that 
then of course he's going to want to go and find Wanda right. again. And, you know, there's, there's storylines to be told there. And and for me, like when I saw at the end, when she's kind of, like you said, astral projecting and reading that book, I was like, is she trying to find out how to, to bring her family back? Like to be able to yeah, bring I, those kids more than likely. From, I, I'm not saying, yeah. I don't think Scarlet witch is purposely going through that book to do no. bad, but because the, it's, it's essentially called the, what is it? The book of death, the book of it, it's bad shit. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I just think the fact that she is actively exploring it is is going to send enough waves out there that 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 strange is going to be like, okay, hold the. You don't Something's even know what you're doing by just reading through that book. All the shit you're conjuring up in in the multiverses and this, that, and the other thing. I mean, the, the whole multiverse thing. Maybe she she's going to tap into her kids that were actually real kids in a different universe and then try to bring them in. Cause I mean like that, that is another area of Marvel that we really haven't explored at all up until this point is like, there's multiple earths, there's multiple different universes and they start to intermingle. And I don't think that they'll ever get really deep into that. Apparently in Spider-Man three coming up there, that's going to be one of the first real forays into you got, you know, dudes coming from yeah. Sony Spider-Man showing up uh, yeah. in, in Marvel yeah. Spider-Man. But I don't know. I, I like I said, WandaVision will put it to bed. This isn't the WandaVision time show, but it mm-hmm. it was unique. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't quite have those holy shit moments like I, I think a lot of us were uh, expecting just because we've been conditioned for MCU properties. Uh, but I think it, it told a good story about Wanda. It transitioned her into a, an ultimate being, and it has teed up uh, the events of, of Doctor Strange 2, which I'm lo- I'm just looking forward to the MCU getting back on track. Not that it it was off track for its its own reasons. It's this fucking virus. But uh, I just I, it, it I mean, come on, people. Since 2008, we've essentially had two or three or four Marvel movies a year. I mean, I know 2020 was odd, but it, it's like. It just felt yeah. like our uh, uh, family member disappeared. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the good thing is, is that Taylor, we, when we watched, she was really into WandaVision. She fucking loved it. And she, at the end, she was like, oh, well, uh, I, I've really never seen much of the Marvel movies. I was like, you know what? We got 20 something. There you go. We got Disney Plus. We can just start reeling them up. We can watch one a day. And, and did you see it? <laughs> Disney Plus, they actually do a nice thing um, with the MCU. They break it out by phases in order or the, oh, or they man. have a chronological playlist if you want to watch the movies in their timeline order. So Chronological order. There we go. So, so you'd be so starting Taylor with like Captain, Captain America and then Marvel and so on yeah. and so forth. But I, I thought it was nice yeah. that they at least curated it that way. But no, Charlie... Uh, same thing. I mean, we've we've showed her some of this, but she's been going through kind of the MCU. She puts it on the background, doesn't fully pay attention, but she's up to uh, Guardians of the Galaxy one right now. So just there before uh, the introduction of the Vision, which she wants to see after seeing Vision in WandaVision. Yeah, uh, I know. Well, that's going to be a very different introduction because vision is like the the creation of vision is what essentially spurs on ultron so so i i don't know we're 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 working through it i'm trying to keep her pop culture correct Um, all right and then i'm just gonna put another another thumbs up another recommendation on outriders i beat the demo over the weekend it's one of the best demos i've ever played uh just in terms of the amount of content you get to save progress and it's a game where you can grind, grind, grind and, and just build your character up for the main release on April 1st and be ready to rock. I just I have started I'm telling you, I started a 
a mate like the melee stealth character yeah i I'm, i did pyromancer so you're doing more like the the jedi that can dis- disappear and whatnot and, and here's here's how i know this game is is very good or at least great to me everyone on this dumb show knows that the past couple years i've I've kind of wanted a stress-free uh, gaming experience, so I, I would play on lesser difficulties or hand-holding, if you will. And it was nice. And I didn't care. I still had a good time. I didn't give a shit that I wasn't being challenged. But in Outriders, Nick, I have found myself embracing the challenge, mm-hmm. not changing difficulties when I'm having to repeat a section of a side mission fucking 50 times. Because they allow you to do that. They're, they're like, oh, you can go to world one or like world difficulty two. And like, it's very easy. It's to not even that, Nick. Like I, I literally was stuck in a death loop where and it was getting uh, like controller flexing worthy. <laughs> That's the other thing. Like yeah. the fact that I was reacting that way to this game from dying, I knew it wasn't the game being cheap. It was me wanting to beat the challenge and me getting angry because I couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, and for yeah. someone who has not wanted a gaming challenge in years, I think that speaks volumes for what Outriders does for me, at least. I am, I, I took the challenge. I probably played one section of a side mission for 50 minutes on Saturday, and I was ready to start throwing stuff, spitting, biting, it, all the shit we were talking about last week when we'd lose our composure as little kids playing video games. It, it all came back. And I liked it. I was like, yeah, I haven't felt this way in a while. It's like, let the, let the hate flow through you. It'll make you stronger. And I, and I finally beat the fucking thing. And it was one of those like, yeah, you know, it's that, that, that high you get when you conquer a challenge of any type, not just in video games, but that's where I knew the fact that I wasn't quitting. I wasn't changing world tiers, which is their way to set difficulty. It's actually kind of a really cool way to set difficulty. They don't have Mm -hmm. a difficulty per se. You choose the world tier and the level of world tier will dictate the type of enemies you face, the type of loot. Also like the the loot you get. But with this game, and I think why I could tolerate the, the, the meat grinder there for a little bit, if you get killed, it doesn't matter. Anything, any gear you picked up, you keep. Any XP you earned, you keep. So if you do get stuck in a cycle of death, you're, not you're just grinding. You're, you're grinding up. Yeah. You, you might level up. You might get a, a gun drop that's going to help you on the next reload. So I don't know. I, I just highly enjoyed it. I see Tones checked it out. He's digging it now, too. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't work for Square. I don't work for People Can Fly. I'm just an idiot that that saw that this demo was available and it saved your progress. That's honestly what would convince me to download is because I do not like wasting time in video games. That's why I don't play demos because you're usually just playing the first level. When they said, hey, you get five hours or so or more if you just want to keep repeating side missions uh, and progress will save. I was like, fucking A, let's do it. And I- I'm glad I did because I feel... There's a little bit of a void in my gaming soul right now. I mean, I, I guess I'll go back to, to Gears Tactics, but Outriders for a week or so was was all consuming. So I'm looking forward to and that. You gotta you gotta go back and you gotta play the other three classes now. You gotta do uh, oh, you, you gotta do a, a demolisher. You gotta do a technomancer. And you gotta do a, a you stealthy guy. Like, don't don't put that <laughs> pressure on me. But no, this is a game. We all are, I, I'm going to need co-op because it's fucking hard yeah. single player. They they made this game to be played with two other people. There's no doubt about it. I, I will, I will go in with you on and this. And it's cross, cross, cross like, play. So, I mean, I'm probably going to get on play, Xbox. So, It'll yeah. be on PS5. We'll generate our codes, shake yeah. hands and off we go. 
All yeah. right, my friend, I'm, I'm, I feel normal again after the Silas high, so I'm ready to uh, proceed. But uh, everyone in, in the live stream, hey, thanks for supporting us. Thanks for the feedback. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of great job, great interviews. I don't know if you're yeah. uh, yanking our chains or, or being genuine, but hey, we appreciate you. Thanks for signing up. Uh, make sure to let people know this, this, is the, this is the shit that happens now in the SWTS. I am going to start trying to clip segments from the show. So they're they're easily more easily to find for you lazy assholes and you not diehards yeah. that don't want to listen to a full episode of Star Wars Time Show. Um, we'll chop the Silas. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to clip, that as a clip the Silas interview. But I've I've did some research. I can do it all just in YouTube. It's not going to look nice or anything. But we can at least pull specific segments because I think it was Mythos Boba who he's like hey I hear you guys you're always bitching about not getting any traction on the sites and I feel you fuck KRT so I was like I like this guy <laughs> he's like did you ever think that you, you might want to highlight some of your predictions and speculations for people that don't have the attention span to sit through three plus hours of your bullshit and I was like yeah that Oh yeah, that's a good point. I do. I have recognized that, or like recognized that in certain YouTube videos where there's like markers on the timeline where you, it's like, oh, if you hover over it, it literally like it'll tell you like, oh, this is. Yeah, I don't. Here. I don't know if I figured that out, Nick, but I at least know that I can once the stream processes. So usually a day later, I can go in the YouTube's built-in editor, trim out a section, and save it as a new video, and it will show up in our upload section. So. Uh, I'm going to start trying to do that. I, I just got to be honest, people. It, it's a time thing. Uh, Pre-pandemic, yeah. I, I had a lot more free time to to do some Star Wars time show shit. I would love to be getting news posts out right away when other sites do. I'd love to be doing more videos every week uh, like I used to. But pandemic, choosing to keep the kid home and also choosing to become her homeschooler, has taken that time away. So uh, there, there's a lot of stuff I'd love to do every week. It's just a time thing. And uh, in the end, SWTS is still just a little show. Uh, if it warrants a bigger audience or if we do get the bigger audience and, and we start having that traction and it's going to need more attention, more little bells and whistles to make it stand out, then, <laughs> then I'll get there. But uh, I'll try. Uh, that's why I talked in, in Discord. I don't know if Liam ever showed up. He didn't, it doesn't seem like he showed up. He's like, hey, I don't have school. I'll be here to to check for timestamps. But that, that's kind of what I'm asking for. Same thing we've been doing with the TikTok stuff. Uh, but if we start a segment and we drop a prediction and you all are like, hey, that's not bad. Try to mark down a time so this clipping of content is a little uh, more streamlined because I'm not going to have hours on end each week. To, to comb through a four-hour, four hour, three-hour podcast. And I'm not fucking around. Nick can attest to it. We say a lot of stuff on this show and don't remember any yeah, of it by remember. the time we say goodbye 90%. to all of you. We, yeah, 90% We kind of get off say. and we're like, whoo, ho, well, we yeah. just did another one. Holy shit, I'll see you next week. So yeah <laughs> uh, we we do need that help but all right man here we go getting into the star wars topics and, and we'll try to get through these hey we're not doing bad we're only an hour and a half in that's not too bad yeah yeah uh, so uh we got a few things you know matt's got a, a comic book breakdown got some rumors and stuff and then toys so it's not a ton of content to go through but you, yeah, know you us, never know there'll probably be a tangent <laughs> you know there, there's <laughs> there'll probably be some bullshit there's definitely going to be some tangents and I have not started my recording, Nick. So I guess at this point, I did 20 minutes um, ago. So if you <laughs> I'm wondering if we should just rely on the YouTube feed at this point. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So 
I'll leave that up to you. But I'll leave mine recording. You can. And now I'll fucking I'll bring it in just uh, wait, about an hour 30. Or let me let me get it started here. <laughs> All right. There we go. go. So. Go. Go. Now the show's really started. All that. There other we stuff. go. All right. Hey, now, everybody. <laughs> welcome to the Star Wars Hot Show. Hey, baby, baby, doo, doo. Baba Booey to you all. Ta-ta tooty. Hit him with the hind. All right. I'm recording. Uh, I just I'll have to remember it's about the 131 mark when I need to try to figure it out. And if it gets too much like chess, guess what, people? On the audio version, sorry. I know this one probably sounds a little stankier than you're used to, but fuck it. Sorry, guys. Uh, all right, yeah, so like you said, we got High Republic number three last week, and I can tell you at this point in time, the High Republic allure has worn off. It has, oh, no. It's worn off because I, I had been getting like 100 views on some of my reviews of these comics, which is way more than I get on my other comic book videos, so I was yeah. like, hey, I'm doing something right. People are into this, but this one, issue three, it, it was like... <laughs> Right, right back down to the numbers we usually get on our YouTube videos. And I, I don't know why. Like I said, I don't know if people are just, they've disengaged with High Republic. I know there's some memes going around this week about the new uh, Rock character introduced in one of the young adult novels. No, I'm not kidding, Nick. There's an actual fucking Rock character in the High Republic. Is it like, what's his name from Fantastic Four? Uh um no it's not like the thing like not it's like it's thing. shaped like a fucking rock oh okay well never mind then yeah it, it, I, I still it, have not finished the first novel but i have and, the second novel on pre-order so uh, i have to finish it by june i have to finish it by june <laughs> there you go well, well anyways i'm sticking with the comics and, and i'm glad i'm kind of glad that i am because uh you know issue three dropped last week uh, hopefully you checked out the video if you if you do care about the comics but it, it continued the tale of, of Keeve, Master Skier, uh, Avar, and, and the two Jedi twins, Serret and Tarek. And, um, you know, overall, it was, it, was a, it was an enjoyable issue. Uh, I'm still a big fan of Keeve. Uh, this one gave you a lot of uh, inner monologuing with her, which, you know, we've always talked about. We, we love getting... Uh, kind of the what Jedi's or what Force users are thinking in their heads, because usually, to us in the exterior, they're very stoic, reserved, sometimes boring type of characters. Uh, and I just I like Keeve. I love her fucking mohawk. I love kind of her fresh Jedi Knight insecurities. Uh, I like her battle prowess. Her lightsaber's dope. I mean, it, it can bow. It can split. It's just, she's a, an interesting character to me. Uh, but what we finally got in this one, and you may have known about it from your reading, and I'm sure other people do that, that read the actual first novel. But we finally f find out, or we start to learn what's happening with Master Skier. And yes, I have to do that every time I say his name, <laughs> because that is what a proper Trandoshan would do. The sk, lots of s, bosk, yes, that type of stuff. But Nick, I, I don't know if you've come across this in the book, but the Drangir are finally introduced. Okay. Right? Yeah. So last comic, uh, they show up on this planet, Skier, and one of the twins, one of the twins disappears, and we see like a tentacle, and we just assume that took it. And Keeve goes after him because of this stupid kid, falls down a <laughs> hole, and, and she finally finds it. She finds a pit of bodies, and the way I described it in, in the review video is they essentially, it, it looked like 
an alien queen's lair, right? Where all the Xeno uh, warriors brought back the humans and kind of laced them up in that those yeah. cocoons. Uh, kind of the same thing that the Drengi are doing on this planet. They're they're okay. collecting bodies and either taking them over or or eating them. They, they they just they like meat. They like flesh. They just kept saying meat, meat, meat. It's kind of like Nick when he goes to a strip club. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, it's just um, a haze you get in. <laughs> they're like uh, I would describe the Drangir as, and this is going to date me, but everyone knows I'm I'm forty plus. But it, they look like more intense versions of Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. Okay, Did yeah. Did you ever watch that, Nick? Yes, Are you old yes. enough for uh, Little Shop of Horrors with Rick Moranis? Yeah, I've seen it a few times. Um, that makes sense. I mean, they are kind of like organic beings, like they're 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 plant based beings, um, and it's like as soon as basically as soon as you said, like he's got this moss growing on him in terms of skier, I was like, it's definitely the Drengier that has him. Well, well yeah, it's because I told you I I saw they they they. Tease the issue four cover, which now that I've read issue three, the issue four cover makes a lot of sense. Uh, so spoilers, but I, I'm assuming back during w- w- one of the earlier books that Skier is, is attacked by something that is either from the Drengear or tainted with the Drengear. Who the fuck knows? But that's what starts to work on his head. And, mm-hmm. and that's also what I liked about this issue. Like, Avar is just thoroughly pissed at skier because i mean he is he's he's probably going beyond anakin skywalker at this point like he's doing some fucked up shit the the last issue he mutilated a dead body he's he's in this issue he's yelling at the one twin who's kind of losing his mind because his brother that they're essentially dyaded together is is dying yeah it's gears like skier's basically like Shut up, pussy. I mean, just acting like that. <laughs> Very non-Jedi master-like. And Avar kind of puts him in his place. I also appreciate that interaction. Uh, but ultimately, down this pit, Keeve is trying to save little kids, trying to save the twin that was uh, co-opted by the Drengear. And she herself starts to get overtaken by them. And in one of the coolest moments I've seen yet in the High Republic comics... Out of nowhere, Avar jumps down the hole and drags her lightsaber down the Drengear's body, splitting it in half to free Keeve in a very, I don't know, an Anakin Skywalker, a badass Jedi moment. Uh, but once they do that, and they're like, all right, Keeve's like, okay, Avar's here, I got a master, we can do this. Lo and behold, the Drengear unve- unveil Master Skier as their puppet. It's like mm-hmm. they have their tentacles in him his arm is regrowing back it's very Groot like yeah and they're essentially using him now as their own jedi to combat the other two jedi and that's where things ended so i mean we 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 got a little more uh, a few more layers peeled off on the mystery of skier uh, a few more layers on on the drangir and just again on on keeve herself because to me she is the uh, the lead of this comic book run yeah I mean, I, I'm very intrigued in the direction and I know that like people have essentially decided on, you know, their, their high Republic like or dislike at this point. The high Republic, in my opinion, has been canceled by most fans already. You know, that that's fine. If you (laughs) don't want to read it, like I find, I find this whole time period very intriguing and I'm excited to see where it goes in terms of novelizations and in the story moving forward, especially for the Acolyte. 
I think that there's a lot to be done there too. And, you know, for people, you know, I, I am interested to see how this Drengier works out because it's essentially that it's a virus. Like, you know, it, it's plant, you know, plant-based or anything like that, but it is like a virus that can take over these extremely powerful Jedi and yeah. use them against themselves, you know? When so Nick, I mean, do you know anymore? Do they are they working with the Nile? Does the Nile co-op their powers and their own weaponry? I, I don't. I, I mean, again, I'm talking I've like gotten, an asshole because yeah, I, I've like, been told that if I would just read the books, a lot of this is more clear. But I'm not yeah. reading the fucking books. I'm, no, I'm sticking yeah, to like the comics. It, as far as I've gotten, it hasn't really gotten into the like if there is a relationship between the Drengier and the and the Nile or anything like that. Um, but once I finish it, I will give more insight into that uh but no nothing as far as i've read you know i, know I just realized what i think for the first hour of the show i didn't swear once well we were yeah <laughs> so look look people i can i can control myself i can flip that switch if need professional be. Once, interviewer once, once silas left it was like all right fuck fuck fuck, fuck. yeah no, it's, yeah. See, there you go. It's not a. It's not a completely filthy. Show. I'll, I'll I'll get to the book one day. I mean, I, I got it on the Audible version. I was like, but you I, have I am, it free. I'm digging the comic because the comic gives me little bites. It's mm-hmm. more pictures than reading, and they're actually putting some effort into the art in the High Republic High Republic comics versus what I've seen lately in the in the Star Wars Invader ones. So uh, there is some good imagery to look at. But I'm I'm still enjoying it. I'm going to keep my subscription going. I've also pre-ordered the the, the new Boba Boba Fett uh, bounty hunter special that, that's coming up. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, this summer, so I'll, ch- I'll check that miniseries out as well. There you go. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the High Republic comics, whether people hate rocks or not. It is funny <laughs> that a rock is a character, uh, but have at it. There know? we go. Um, so yeah, check it out. High Republic's available now. Comixology, Marvel Comics app, all those spots that you usually download or from your local comic shop, because I guarantee you... Local comic shops right now are struggling, and they would probably like to see somebody in their store getting a comic. Yeah, book. do the right thing. Be like the intern and and buy your your comics in a, in physical form. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm the asshole that goes the digital route because <laughs> I I already have too much shit in this house. I can't collect any more stuff. Yeah, no, it's that's a very real thing when you're when you're living it, in a it, confined it, space. It just can't. <laughs> ha- I mean, last week. Legos are out of control now too, because even the wife is getting in on it. Like Harry Potter's, we just got the the big ass roller coaster expert set. <laughs> it just it's it's taking over the house. So so now they're getting put down in Star Wars Time HQ. So even oh, more no. shit is coming down here because oh, she's no. like the Harry Potter castle's got to get the fuck out of here because the cats are like eating it and they, they're they're <laughs> Godzilling it every day. They're coming in and knocking the towers over. Oh no! Um, so. Yeah. All but, right, dude. Uh, we're, we're, it's time to get into what should just be called the poo flinging yeah. segment of the show we're of episode one fifty two here, uh, because you you never know what you're going to get these days on on Reddit. It, it still seems to be a a homer for all things KRT, LRM online, and some of these other uh, fringy sites that have have gotten traction for one reason or the other. Uh, but there was a bunch of a bunch of poo was flung last week, right? Yeah, Nick? I mean, it was heavy. It was like it, a, it's dripping, dripping down all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen videos of a of a porta potty being turned over, but it was basically that. It was kind of <laughs> like that. So we got exactly we got a lot of character rumors out here, a lot of show rumors out here, and the first that we're going to hit on is um, a rumor from KRT Corey Van Dyke about and, and let's. 
I, I, you didn't put the tweet in, which is fine because he probably doesn't deserve any more credit. But bro, I, I mean, I don't even think we can get upset with KRT anymore because they're just gaming the system. They know they have an audience and they just dangle these carrots out and these people go cuckoo for KRT puffs yeah. and, and blast it on Reddit, get it, you know, three, 400 comments to where it sits at the top of the page. But what Corey said about what we're about to talk about here, and you guys tell me if this is a leak or what we do, because sometimes I get, uh, I get confused anymore. But Nick, I believe the tweet said. If you click on the, if you click on his name, it opens the Reddit thread where the tweet is. So. All right. Come on, StarWarsTime.net. It, it, the link. it basically Thank says you. it says Kenobi won't be the only Force-sensitive character. No, no, no. Look, look. Okay. Says that Ahsoka Tano could yeah. appear in the Andor. Right here, Kenobi won't be the only Force-sensitive character appearing in Andor. Someone has a contract for multiple projects as well. Yeah, it's just again like the fuck it's does that pure mean? Speculation. So yes, from from this you can surmise that the the KRT flingers have now said that that both Kenobi and Ahsoka will show up in the Andor series. Um through one way or another and this is uh you know their their sources their speculation or whatever you want to call it um the way that i kind of broke it down on our site was and on our post is that it is very it is very doable for ahsoka to be in there in the fulcrum role because she was involved through rebels as fulcrum as a essentially a, a rebel information gatherer a rebel uh you know uh confidant who would pass information to the the rebellion uh during that time period so having her on there as fulcrum is possible um yeah i I, it's possible but i i don't know i just i don't it's just i don't see it do you want to i mean essentially if you throw in ahsoka to this series you're you have a very likely scenario where you're overshadowing your main character of course of course i mean it it would have to be a hollow call at best just just like she was doing in star wars rebels Mm -hmm. something like that like a quick call that's it nothing like her her appearance in mando yeah because you're exactly right i mean i I, the the fulcrum angle i can get behind but like i said only through a quick meeting or a transmission or just a voice yeah i i would really prefer to be just voice like you got initially with fulcrum and rebels where they're like they didn't even know who she was they were just like right this fulcrum person is feeding us information we don't know where they're getting it from but and, and then, the title passes too because yes, homeboy Callus, becomes fulcrum next callus becomes fulcrum when he makes the i mean like he was essentially becomes a a spy within the yeah. imperial army 100%. for the rebellion he takes on that that title as well so it's it will be interesting to see if they do just have like a fulcrum drop or like a fulcrum transmission that comes through I could buy that, but if you're going to have Ahsoka Tano in the show in any long, you know, for any long period of time, I feel like it's going to detract from what the show's yeah, supposed a, to be. No way that would work. And I still, in my head, I don't know where I've read this, but I've convinced myself that season one of Andor is going to focus a bit on his past and then bring it up closer to where we meet him in Rogue One. Yeah. So, I mean, he may not even be full-on rebellion gung-ho for a good part of Andor. Because we know that, like, that Cassian spent, like, after the death of his parents and stuff like that, he he was essentially like a, 
I don't want to say like a vigilante, but like he was kind of this like lone player. And then he joined the rebellion and there was right. And that, that's kind of what I'm expecting to see, like him, him kicking around and and just kind of figuring out his lot in life. And and what I mean, he says he's basically rebelled ever since he was a kid. So let's get some of that. I mean, if they're not going to bring K2 SO in season one, what what are they telling? Right. Yeah, exactly. uh, So to me, it's, it's, it's early Cassian and then how he gets looped into the rebel. And at that point it wouldn't even be the rebel Alliance. It, it, It should just be the rebel cells that we uh, first met when Star Wars Rebels began. Right? Yeah. So uh, the Alliance did not exist at the beginning of Star Wars Rebels. You actually see the Alliance form over the four seasons. And by season four, they are the Alliance that we come to meet in A New Hope. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I, you, you do. So, uh, Tones is asking, I, I've seen this too. This is something that I, I don't get wrapped up in because to me, I'm like, fuck normal viewers. <laughs> All right. So he, he's asking, would introducing Ahsoka to Andor make it confusing for normal viewers? And For normal viewers, yeah. I mean, if like, it does, so what? They'll, they'll get over it and they'll find one of us dorks or yeah. in their family because typically normal viewers are watching a Star Wars show because someone they know or in their family like is either forcing them to, like Nick does, <laughs> or... <laughs> Or, you know, it's just a hangout and they might have caught it in, yeah. in, in the background. So I I don't necessarily worry about that. I don't think the creators would ever think about that or limit themselves in that capacity. Yeah. Uh, because in the end, just like Silas said, Star Wars is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you can probably spit in a 360 degrees of direction and hit a Star Wars fan. Yeah, very it, true. it may not be right next to you. you. You may not know one personally, but that there is going to be a Star Wars fan or the Internet that you can consult. Very true. Um, so I, I, I'm not worried about that. And, and again, the way they brought her in in Mando, that probably also would have been confusing. And, and I think it worked out well. So I just I always I just place my trust in, in the Filoni's, Favreau's, Chow's, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. whoever's running Andor's of the world. Yeah, exactly. And for those uh, of you who are just joining the live stream now, I highly encourage you. Yes, stick around, but go back, listen to the first hour of the show. Yeah, where the, the fuck interview. were you? Yeah, the interview with Silas you, you was missed, fantastic. You missed our big, our, our big chest puff out moment. <laughs> yeah. we, we had the Silas Carson on the show for a full hour with, uh, I think, good talk. Like, yeah, I, was, I don't think he hung up and was like, man, that, yeah, that fucking was, sucked. That was shitty. He seemed that to was enjoy a, himself. That was a shitty hour. <laughs> fuck my agent. I'm firing him. Yeah, so go uh, go back and listen after we're finished up here. Uh, Because it was really a great interview. But uh, now the other character, Nick Kenobi, I think is ludicrous unless unless Bail Organa or someone that would know of his whereabouts points Cassie in in his direction. But why? That is why would why would they why would they jeopardize? Because Bail Organa knows what the fuck is going on. He was there at the end of Sith. He saw the deal. He took one of the babies. Yeah. Why would he compromise Obi-Wan's mission? By sending someone there to talk with Kenobi, because to me, that's the only way Andor gets mixed up in it, unless it's just, again, a a hello there type of cameo where Andor is on Tatooine for a reason and and Kenobi is just a passerby. Yeah, like he wouldn't like Andor wouldn't even know who Kenobi was. And if you remember in Rogue One, too, it's like he doesn't even like at this point, like Bale mentions to like Mon Mothma or somebody in the rebellion at the very end of I, I Rogue think it's One. Mo- like, Mon I, goes to Bale. Like, can you ask your friend, friend or something exactly, like that? Yeah. Like, so people like 
upper members of the of the rebellion know that like hey obi-wan's out there yoda is out there but like we're not we can't not just privy to that shit. these people so yeah. it would be highly unlikely like like i was saying to have him in here the only way that you that you would possibly get it is through bail because there's or like you said just some random occurrence to where like you see you and as right. kenobi on tattooing but there is no interaction there's no it, like, it would almost be like a like a cameo or an easter egg moment yeah like there's no way that they're sending cassian or they're sending any members of the rebellion to be like hey you gotta go talk to obi-wan kenobi for this like that would be completely against the entire purpose of kenobi's yeah. mission <laughs> right i mean he was he was sent there to be a nomad and to be forgotten yeah so right. I, I i that is more unlikely than ahsoka as fulcrum at least with ahsoka as fulcrum you could get like you were saying matt like a like a voice transmission or something like that to where you could call it a cameo i I mean maybe that's how andor even finds out that there there are rebel cells organizing maybe he hears a fulcrum transmission he's like thankfully someone is finally ready to start doing something to these assholes yeah for sure so um, those are the, those are the first two rumors from, yeah, it's just, I don't know, man. I, I feel like these guys, they, they may know some stuff and they may know some contracts were signed, but they're like, well, well shit, we got all that, all that stuff announced uh, in December and they're talking crossover. So it's going to yeah. apply to everything. I we're going to have Star Wars everywhere. Every character's in every show. Yeah. They, it's very Mike Zero, like to where they literally throw out a ton of stuff and then they're like, oh, well, look, it may not have happened the way that we said it was, but it was similar just kind of right. like this as much as i poke fun at krt i will never loop them in with a shithead like mike zero you know Th- that guy is 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 star wars fan scum okay? yeah he, he is truly but anyone right now listening pull up his youtube channel and look at the fucking titles that guy runs and tell me if any of those ever hit yeah it's it's a disaster zone it's I mean, he just he puts out shit that he knows is going to get people worked up yeah i'm not saying he's dumb for doing it but he's a scumbag (laughs) i mean his titles are always inflammatory nick yeah it's like always all caps it's always some bullshit kathleen's dead or they fired kenobi they hate deborah chow george lucas is coming back taking star wars over i'm not kidding go look it up yeah it's it's insanity but it like <laughs> KRT typically what they'll do is like they'll throw out very broad generalizations like even this one like you know Andor and and uh you know or Ahsoka and, and Kenobi could be in in Andor and then <laughs> yeah, if it hits I mean, they go back and they say like look we called it we, we knew did it. it and but I I do like I and I have a sickness Nick doesn't suffer from this but anytime I see one of their stories I I click on it just to read the comments. Just to read the comments. Because, yeah, you're going to get a lot where they're like, oh, yeah, fucking A. It's awesome. This is a great idea. But then you'll get some that are like, what the fuck? Who the fuck voted this up as a rumor? This should be a wild rumor. Uh, uh, do you remember when these guys literally said that they refilmed uh, Ahsoka scenes for the trailer so she's fighting in a, in a cantina? Yeah. It's like, yeah, people, a lot of times people forget that. They but just KRT forget the still, bullshit. Yeah, they figured out the magic. You get one hit and you're golden. You're getting quoted across uh, mainstream pop culture sites you got our two dumbasses dedicating segments every week to uh the the poo flinging so yeah. like i've always said I'm, I'm hating on them because they're at where i want to be very true you know, it, 
<laughs> those those at the top tend to eat shit, so they're I mean, they're taking our shit even though they're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first two. The first two pieces there, Ahsoka and Kenobi, they're postulating could be an Andor. The next one is, I would say, I don't want to say even more unlikely, but it is as unlikely. Um, and the rumor is that there is going to be an, an Ezra and Thrawn show <laughs> coming to Disney Plus. Uh, right. It, it, this is another one where I believe it was worded very wishy-washy. Uh, I don't have the yeah uh, the Reddit post up next, but it, it's another in. one. It's like, okay, we, we got all these shows in the pipeline right now. Yeah. And they're going to they're gonna throw this one in? Yeah, and it's and he, the way that I kind of positioned it was that the likelihood of a show like this happening is pretty low, probably because you're going to cut into your content for Ahsoka pretty heavily if you do it. Like it, it's basically known like that Ahsoka show is going to revolve around this Thrawn Ezra thing. I mean, that's they set it up in in Mando. She's looking for Thrawn the world between worlds connection purely in the title almost tells you that, that Ahsoka is going to be messing with this world between worlds and she's probably going to be using it. Yeah. You know, and and you called this out multiple times in previous podcasts that, that likely what's going to happen is she's going to try to use it to pull Ezra out from that moment where the Pergil take off with the chimera into hyperspace and then who the fuck knows See, what happens. I don't so. even know if she can do that based on the logic they set up in Rebels to where that's such a pivotal moment. Yeah. If she removes that, the Rebels on Lothal lose and then the Rebel Alliance never comes to fruition. So Yeah, but I mean, but I, then you could start to work with like time travel fallacy. Like if you want to build a show where you start to mess with time travel fallacies and the in the... You know the butterfly effect of doing something like that, then then potentially Star Wars the, Endgame. Yeah, you could it could be possible. <laughs> but and I, I'm with you. It just seems like where unless this was a limited miniseries to tee up uh, yeah. events in in Ahsoka or in Rangers, uh, but th- this could never live as a a re- recurring series. It, uh, it and let, I mean, again, we don't know what's in Dave's head, what's in John's head, what, what's going on over at Lucasfilm. What are the plans for Thrawn? We know he's at least back in some form by the Mandalorian. Yes. Uh, to the point to where a hero we love is essentially dedicating her life to tracking him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so again, it, it would have to be very quick, like maybe a couple episodes. Hey, this is what happened. This is how they got back. Now let's lead into Ahsoka. Yeah. I, I don't think that that makes sense for the the, yeah. the money even, and, and the plans that they, they have. And yeah. by they, I mean Disney. I don't even think that you could get a full six episode, 22 minute show out of this because it's like, like you said, you're, you're working with such a limited window of time. I mean, I know that, I mean, like, well, one, we don't even know. Like, basically, we know that you got, like, roughly, you know, you know, you got a few years from the, where, where the, um, where the Pergil take away Thrawn and Ezra to the end of the, the original trilogy. And then you got, like, seven more years after that. So you got, like, a 10-year period of time between the end of Rebels and, the beginning of mando or where we see ahsoka and mando but then also like what in, in that 10 year period of time like we don't know how long thrawn's been back we don't know how where you know how long ezra's been back it just seems like 
the content that would be shown in, in a show that's specifically placed around those two would be very limited. Um, and especially if you're just keeping it to the, like if you're continuing with the story that like, it's just them out in, somewhere in hyperspace. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess there's, there is potential for this, right, Nick? I mean, cause it, it's not, none of it's written. We, yeah. we literally have no idea what happened to these two after they were pulled away by the space whales. Yeah. So technically, yes, they, they could tell whatever story they wanted to. Yeah. They, they could make up whatever they want between Ezra and Thrawn. I know Intern has said that, you know, Thrawn's going to co-opt them into the Chiss fleet. That's, and Ezra, the, they'll kind of the, be buddies after a certain period of time. That's kind of, yeah. I mean, one of the uh, Brittany Taylor here in the live stream says, Brisk Wars Thrawn, please. And like, that's kind of a direction that they could take it is because there is this, you know, the 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 new Thrawn trilogy is essentially building up this war between the Chiss Ascendancy and the Grisk, which is the new, basically the new Yuzon Vong. And if that war has persisted through the rebellion, which it, from, to, to what, from what we can tell in the novels it has, then that, that could have very possibly happened. It's like they get out in hyper, hyperspace and like they end up in a sector that's close to the Chiss space and Thrawn essentially takes Ezra and he's like, look, I know that we were fighting because of this, this whole Imperial rebel thing, but like, look, really it would, it would suit us both in this period of time to team up and I have a, a mission for us to do. So, I mean, it, it, it's possible something like that could happen, but it would just be such a departure and like such a, a weird U-turn yes. from like, Hey, we, you literally just saw these two characters fighting each other to the death at the end of Rebels to like, hey, we're going to fucking spin this around on you real quick. And now Ezra and Thrawn are working together. But then we have to get back to when Mando, where right. Ahsoka's trying to kill Thrawn again. For some, for, for whatever reason, it sounds like he's still trying to build up some form of armada because that was the whole yeah. Morgan Elsbeth connection. I mean, and she like, he may be trying to him. build up an armada to take out in the Chiss space. Now that the Emperor is dead, he's like, well, fuck right. it. I can co-opt all this Imperial resource build up a new armada, a second armada to, to complement the Chiss defense fleet. And now we attack the Grisks with two completely, you know, built up forces. I mean, that's a possibility, but again, like you, then you are bringing in a lot of shit that like people are just not aware yeah, of. You, you want to talk about casual viewer issues. That That's yeah. where shit starts to really get kind of, uh, all over the map. Like uh, yeah. this fleet and the Chiss and the Grisk. And it's like, I don't even fucking know what you guys are Nick's talking about right now. And when I don't know, that usually means that it's not <laughs> proper, proper uh, Star Wars that most people would at least be remotely aware of. Yeah, so definitely don't get us you. wrong or don't get me wrong. I'm not going to talk for Nick. We need to find out what happened with these two in some form or fashion. But I believe they're going to use the various already announced live action shows to do so and, and keep them organically incorporated into a Rangers, Ahsoka, Mandalorian. I mean... Thrawn at some point in time is probably going to be involved in the Mandalorian. You, yeah. you don't you don't name drop him in the Mandalorian, then just leave it and never come back to it. Crossover event type of shit, all building up to a massive battle against Thrawn, or maybe Thrawn is on their side against Gideon. Who the fuck knows? Uh, we're here to speculate, but they they have to resolve Thrawn and Ezra's departure somehow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, di Disco Ditto, I, I definitely think by the time Mando is all said and done, we will have seen many layers revealed in, in how the First Order 
uh, was being built up by a lot of these remnant forces, without think, a doubt. Definitely. Um, but then why why wasn't Thrawn around? Did he get taken out? What Did he become a good guy? And then this is all stuff that I hope we get uh, over. Let, let's keep our fingers crossed the next 10 years with all these shows, just new seasons and crossovers and all this fun stuff. Um, but a lot of these announced shows, I mean, they didn't come out and say, yeah, these are going to be recurring. They could be WandaVisions. If you go to WandaVision and you go to episode nine, it it, it says the series finale. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. It's, it's over. not, it's not coming back. And and I would still take that. I mean, come on, it's star Wars. Uh, but it, the, the, the whole Thrawn Ezra thing is, is clearly something a lot of us fans are excited about. Uh, we feel like some sort of answer is coming based on what we got in Mando S2E5. Uh, so I, I don't blame people for throwing this shit out here. I just, I don't know. I, it doesn't, in my head right now, make sense for Disney to, to throw a couple hundred million at a, at a live action Ezra and Thrawn just to fill in some gaps when they could either do it in animation form if they feel the need to, or just use little three minute flashbacks uh, in the existing properties to uh, get everyone back on the same page. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, that's that's all that came out of the KRT boys this week in the Star Wars leaks community. I'm sure that more uh, poop will surface throughout the next week. In terms of the Thrawn actor, I'm with I'm with Brittany here. I I I say just keep the voice actor and bring in yeah. Lars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you could paint him up, and it would be just like the the Katie Sackoff deal. Mm-hmm. Speaking very- of case, I, one of these days we got to get SW props on this show. I I need to know what the hell this guy does, because like he he somehow got a a helmet that he either helped design or create into the hands of Katie Sackoff at a signing with Funko Pops and fans. And it just looks like SW Props has a, a really good fucking time every week. Yeah. In the Star Wars <laughs> universe with collectibles and props, hence SW Props. Hey. All right. Yeah. So we, we, we need to, we, maybe, maybe he's a, we, we got to talk to uh, Spa Spa Spoofy. <laughs> uh, our, our producer spencer and, and get something going there but yeah, he, he's yeah. got connections somehow somewhere yes so we'll get yeah we'll right. see if we can get him on the show i know S- he send us send us one of those helmets sw props <laughs> come on i'm still waiting on my on my fucking art from super scoundrel so you guys can <laughs> save postage yeah just put in a put them in the again. same box and, and ship it over here come yeah, on there we go all right so that's the end of our <laughs> honestly that's the end of our our topics for this week outside of the toy stuff and matt we got a couple of toy reveals here oh yeah um, speaking of speaking of the the uh, princess herself or the heiress herself yes, right heiress look at that look at that for a transition throne. i knew we were going to be talking about the bo katan hot toys figure that's why i brought up sw props is uh, very uh, might i add it's a great looking bo katan helmet there we go. Uh, but we, um, uh, I think, was it two weeks ago, Nick? We we had the teaser for this Bo-Katan Hot Toys, so we knew it was coming. But now we got the glamour shots. That that's what us uh, real collectors are always waiting for: the glamour shots, Nick. Right? Yes. Not the kind you used to do when you were in school to make yourself look like a model, <laughs> but but toy glamour shots to convince people like me that already spend too much money on toys to spend more. And um, spoiler alert: it worked. Uh, so we're talking about the Hot Toys Bo-Katan Kreese one-six scale figure. And no, Nick, this does not come in a deluxe package with multiple versions of the character. But 
for 285. Yeah, you heard that right. The price is going up, my friends. 285 <laughs> from the usual 255 to 260 for a single figure. Uh, Bo Katan's clocking it at 285. I can only surmise that's because you are getting two heads. You're getting her uh, unmasked Katie sculpt. Yep. And you are getting the Night Owl adorned helmet. So I'm that assuming Night that's Owl where the. Looks yeah, good. I'm guessing Katie's face is, is what jacked it up $25, 30, $30. Yes. <laughs> uh, but dude, she looks great. I know mm-hmm. there's some people out there bitching because we're Star Wars fans and we're collectors. That's just kind of what we do. No, but some people had beef on her face, saying her her jaw was too wide. I've seen some people saying it looks like John Cena in a wig. Um, and I'm here to say, what the fuck's wrong with you people? I, I think she looks fantastic. I think this figure looks fantastic. Uh, I mean, look at that. Just the pose on the shot that I have right now on the live stream. It's what I. It's like their lead shot. Uh, she's in her full armor punching out a trooper I mean just a glorious looking figure yeah there she is again with her lovely face hey Katie how you doing looking forward to bring you home next spring Um, so yeah she's available now sideshow Uh, I have not dropped my pre-order yet I will be okay Uh, hands down I'm I'm getting this bow figure Uh, I think it's fantastic uh, helmet on, helmet off. It doesn't matter to me. I want a little Katie in my life. Uh, <laughs> if, if you catch my drift, but just the last shot on the live stream, that that's everything you're going to get. So for 285, you get, like I said, both heads, you get a helmet and a detailed sculpt. You get her two blasters, the Mando, the Mando type of gats, a communicator, her, her trip wire, you know, her, her arm wire, some rocket pack effects, some hands, and for some reason, they took a picture of her crotch. I'm not sure what they're showing off there, but it is a very nice looking crotch on a figure. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. <laughs> how many will that? I'm getting a question from the live stream. How many will this be? Yes, uh, Joe Buddy. Once I uh, add Bo, I will now be at 21 open pre orders. So do the math and cry for me. Thank Ooh. you. Oof. That's just, that's all I have to say is just oof. Yeah, those, those sounds, Nick, they, they, to kind of make it hurt a little worse, so refrain from those. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I uh, my my lovely wife just got a fifty five percent pay raise. Hey, Woo! hey, now that's something. So I guess it means I should take that open orders to forty two. Yeah, no, you can double it. Easy, easy. <laughs> who's now. who's worried about twenty one when the wife gets a fifty five percent pay increase and is now making more than the man of the house? And go, that man, man is this guy, and that man is happy. I do <laughs> not live with a nineteen fifties mentality about women. No. If they want to work, go for it. If, if they want could... me to sit home and take care of kids, sign me up. Yeah, I was gonna say if, if you can make more money than me, I will never say not to. I'm not <laughs> like I, I forget what. Yeah, I, I don't, well, Nick, there's there's clearly a, yeah, yeah. a lot of people out there still think women should be barefoot and pregnant for half their life and just sit at home, but that that's not that's not the Haywood household. I'm all about sugar mamas. You want to go out and do that corporate thing and, and make that skrilla? I'll happily buy some figures with it. So, uh, but in all seriousness, I am I'm quite proud of her. She she yeah, earned that's... this one. This is a big one, and and there's no shame in. And uh, bringing in that type of salary to help out the household and ultimately help out my addiction with these fucking toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, hey, that's there great. you go. Little uh, young Liam, he's using his high school math skills and he has figured out uh, about where I'm at. And yeah, you're you're pretty fucking close, Liam. 
Uh, when you add that into my existing hot toys and all my other figures, this is where I start to get really fucking depressed. Because <laughs> uh, there's a whole lot of uh, woulda, shoulda, coulda, like, oh, I could have fucking bought a car. Oh, that pool the wife wants, we could have just bought that with you cash. Just paid it with outright. Cash. <laughs> fucking cash, Nick. No. Oh, no, man. instead, I choose to pre-order 21 figures, but my God, do they look great. So yeah, fuck it. that's all that matters. All right. Right, right, Trevor. I know Trevor's listening. Right, Trevor. You, one can uh, uh, one can never have too many one six scale Hot Toys figures. It's very true. And at uh, this point, I think I've completely caught his disease. I'm not even that moved by 112 anymore. I mean, I'm like so engaged with the Barbies <laughs> at this point. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. I really don't man greg says that that the uh the boba is 730 australian Jesus. dollars which isn't real money we know that we know it's not real money I, but still it's, and a, it's a the lot crazy of thing money. is nick and i'm i'm not a, a geologist or anything <laughs> but i i'm pretty sure i would think hong kong is closer to australia than we are or no you would i think so i think geographically it is closer. I, I just don't get like, like do, are planes not allowed to fly to Australia? Do you have to take boats? Why does it, or is it just the retailers there just like fucking their customers? They scalp the shit out of you. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I like mean, import costs The boba here is like what, four ninety five. Yeah. If you order from Sideshow in the States, four ninety five. Seven thirty. I mean, that is a fucking tax. Yeah, dude. That's, that is a tax insanity it's fucking crazy man but yeah all right so we still got one more figure uh release to talk about and matt this is the 112 scale guys and this is the gaming yeah, Greats it, edition right so uh GameStop's still <laughs> still trying to limp along dude their the whole, stock is at like 250 bucks today are you kidding me share. so like no it's still going i've I've fallen off on that because the, the past two weeks, the market has just been in the fucking yeah, toilet. It's, it's insanity in the toilet. Like everything's crashing. Anyone that's an investor, retail investor, don't get scared. Don't sell. This is where you hold and build up your cash reserves. So it's because, 245 right now. And I have, shit. I still have one share cause I sold my other one share when it was, I had two shares. So I sold one when it was like, 130 that was kind of when it started to come down i was like all right this train is hitting the fucking you know hitting the end yeah. so i let it go but i was like i'll hold on to one just in case some insanity happens and it has and it's back at 250 245 it's crazy that they're they're still gaming it because it's not like gamestop has done anything or released any financial statements that would no, warrant that type of stock it's price still, but yeah, they're they're, they're still getting exclusive toys from hasbro whether we like it or not they're still overpriced uh, they're still hard to find on their websites, but last week, uh, 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 I saved that. It was a weak one. I'm not, I'm not uh, thoroughly happy with that, but I, I had to get it out. But uh, the latest gaming greats, GameStop, EB Games, and if you're Australia, essentially have to cut off a testicle to pre-order it. Yeah. Uh, but it's a Imperial Rocket Trooper from Star Wars Battlefront 2. It's essentially a re-release. Uh, this figure is has been available before, but I would call it the Star Wars Rebel edition of the Rocket Trooper because they had the uh, yellow shoulder pauldrons, as mm. I call them. I don't know the technical term. But I'll tell you what, dude. When I, when I saw this announced, this is where I kind of feel like I may be transitioning, not that way, but into a more of a high-end collector. 
You're like, yeah, it doesn't I, even I, look that good. No, I was like, who fucking cares? I was like, I don't give a shit. I, I already have two of the rocket troopers with the yellow. Uh, I've already broken one of their tubes. I, I just, I don't give a shit. And yeah. I still have... I mean, my friends, I've tried, I, I've, I've gotten back to doing a shoot every Wednesday. I, I got some, uh, Christopher Reeve Superman shots. I want to start sharing. I, I shot him. I shot some of the uh, Ahsoka, but I, I still have figures from early 2020 that need shot at the 112 scale. And it just, I, I gotta, I gotta stop just automatically pavlov like oh hasbro made an announcement it's a somewhat new figure buy 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 just to buy that's the goal this year so far so good if hot toys could just stop releasing shit from the mandalorian <laughs> uh, if they could stop that nick i i'd almost be a, a, a zero dollars in terms of 2021 collectible money yeah yeah you you would be in the clear you'd have that pool It'd be in your backyard right now <laughs> stop it <laughs> quit saying that shit because i i know when charlie hits 16 and she's asking for a car i'm gonna be like fuck man it's when like I was all in right my now 40s, I just, let me just go sell some of the stuff downstairs yeah. when i was in my 40s i bought so many toys that i literally could have bought her a brand new badass like a fucking jeep wrangler uh, but no she'll probably get a shitty rusted out nissan truck like i did uh, my dad also wasted a lot of money on toys but he was also just cheap as fuck <laughs> and uh, was old school and i i do appreciate it because i'm not a piece of shit and i do work uh, but this this uh, jump trooper, like I said, I mean, it, it might be good for army building if you can get a hold of it. E e Greg, again, saying it's going to cost you 60 bucks in some of the international territories that don't either have EB Games or GameStop. Uh, but for 25 bucks, it just is like, meh, meh. Plus, it's GameStop, so you know over here you're going to be spending at least $10 on shipping. And then we're talking almost $40 for a, a jump trooper, rocket trooper. Uh, so I said pass but please by all means those that need some hook it up uh I, i'd assume you can still get them over on gamestop or eb games those of you that do not have those you're fucked and you will have to enter the hunter games and kill everybody to secure one <laughs> there right? you go there you go so available for available for pre-order now yeah Yes, yeah, they're up. They were, they were supposed to be up as of last Friday, but like I said, GameStop's a shit show. You would think as a, a company that works in the tech space would have a somewhat technically advanced website. They do not. Yeah, so I clicked it now. It looks like it's up, so you can click the pre-order. Still available? Because uh, sometimes GameStop shit sells out. You, you never know which one, but sometimes they do. It seems like it's still available. It's added to my cart now, which doesn't mean anything because I'm not going to get it. Um, but if you, for those of you who are interested, you can click the link in the star Wars time.net post and you can go and pre-order release date is May 1st. So there you go. All right. Well, we are entering into the infamous fan segment, which has gone from just being a little uh, time to honor those star Wars artists out there into a, the full fledged fan segment. As I said, we got question of the week. One of these days, maybe Nick will get a battle bracket battle going back, again. Bracket, and then, yeah. then we always have the top five, and you never know what sort of tangents will go down. Uh, but this week, in honor of our guests, the, the question, and, and uh, you know, hideous, those of you that submit questions, Spencer, I do appreciate it. I'm not ignoring them. But I am trying just to make it easy for myself to align each question of the week with one of our topics. So this week we had Silas Carson on the show. If you missed it, please rewind it. 
download the video tomorrow, whatever. Um, and hopefully you liked it. I, I had a fucking blast. And for about 15 minutes after the interview, I was riding a life high. Uh, but because we had Silas on, who portrayed Kiati Mundi, Newt Gunray, Lot Dodd, Antidar. I mean, he's he's a prequel all-star, like I told him. Yep. Uh, the question was about the prequels, and we asked, in honor of today's upcoming guest, Silas Carson, which prequel era character was your favorite? So let's see what the fans had to say. Yes. Uh, I'll lead, so because I'm hitting Matt's PP break of the show. Okay. Yeah, you read so the I'll, first I'll lead, one. Uh, yeah, I'll lead with Star Wars Toy 73 here, a.k.a. Darth Hideous, a.k.a. the Angry Chef. <laughs> Uh, but I agree with him here, and I'll, I'll try to channel what I think he was, uh, the tone he was looking for. Maul! Maul Maul! Always has been, always will be! My man Maul! <laughs> He's like a virus spreading chaos and destruction. There you go. Simple and to the point. Uh, and yeah, man, I mean, it's hard to argue against Maul as one of the best prequel characters at this I point mean, yeah especially for me who i've essentially crowned him my my Number two. silver silver medalist at this yeah. point in time but I'll, I'll tell you what going through the clone wars again fuck anakin is such a better version of yeah. himself in the clone wars yes yes uh, i mean really all the characters are all it's the like game. a well, completely like with anakin though in particular it's like a completely different character it, it's not it's even just, close it's, it's, he's so he's so fucking confident he uh-huh. speaks his mind he taps into the the, the evilness a little bit the, the the back and forth with obi-wan some of the shit that he was getting in with padme and hiding it and him and ahsoka and padme on missions just anakin is the Anakin I envisioned when I first learned about the prequels yeah. via the Clone Wars, not the movies. Uh, but ah- Ahsoka and Rex are probably two others that, uh, I mean, Maul, Ahsoka, and Rex, since a bulk of their stories w- was told in the Clone Wars, yeah, I'd say they're they're the top three to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think those are a good time. All right, so three. I'm, I'm going to go uh, drain the main vein while you cover the next one. I'll flip the screen for you. There There we go. go. All right. Next one up is from Action Figure Neverland. He says, Queen Amidala slash Padme. I've always been so intrigued with all the outfits they did for her. Felt like so much effort was put in on them and it really showed. I also found her whole arc and character development fascinating in the prequel movies. Well, until her death, which is still questionable to me. Uh, Questionable death. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of argument around what killed her. I mean, I think that at the end of the movie, they said that she just gave up on life because of all the things and, you know, all the realizations around Anakin and him falling to the dark side and everything like that. Uh, definitely questionable death. But uh, I I'm a yeah, I'm also a big fan of Padme. And if you are a big fan of Padme, make sure to stick around for the top five this week, because there is an awesome Padme piece of art in there that I want. Hey, to hear about. me out on this. Yeah. I, I love Padme, too. I had such a crush on natalie, natalie uh, i mean and she's probably my age if not younger yeah but back then because you know she's she's famous she'd been working forever i i looked at her as like she was already an adult yeah you know, like like she's a college kid or something she's 39 yeah so i am older than she is <laughs> i almost i would love for natalie to come back and replay that role in those three movies 
Yeah. As as the Natalie now, because I think now, I mean, obviously she's a much more refined actress. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she's more open to these fantastical roles than she may have been yeah, at that I mean, she's age. Yeah, coming I mean, back for Thor. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was at one point in time she was poo-pooing on her Marvel stuff, and now she's all excited to be back in it, and she's going to be Thor herself. Yeah. So I, I just feel like at this point, Natalie is is more, like I said, just more open to playing these roles. I'm not saying she didn't give it her, give it her all. I, I just feel like the character of Padme, if this version of Natalie, Natalie, Natalie <laughs> would act it out, would be quite different than, yeah. than what we got. I think that. And she could do in, it too. In, Cause Natalie doesn't age. She's fucking timeless. Yeah. There, there, I mean, there are shades of, of her daughter of princess Leia in, in, uh, Padme, but it's not, she definitely wasn't that same strong female empowered character like Leia was. And I think that if you had Natalie now, you would probably write her in, yeah, in more know, of that just, direction. It's one of those oddball, like, because what it if was dream, like dream scenarios. Dude, like to me, like Padme would never like the, like Natalie playing Padme now would never have had that, that conversation at the end of Rot's with Anakin where she's like crying, you're breaking my heart. You know, all right. the, like it just, it, it, well, I, I, feel I feel like, like Natalie it would have been like George, really? It's like, yeah, really? like what the it fuck? Been been like, like, even though, I mean, Silas pretty much confirmed that you, you just fucking do what George says. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, in terms of the script, the script, you, you really, fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. You didn't really have too much leeway in terms of what's written and, and how much you could improvise. But I feel like that character deserved a bit more strength to it. And like you saw some, but I think with an older Natalie, this Natalie, she would have been able to, to pull that out of the character a yeah, little bit more. I don't know. I just, I was in there taking a whiz and I was like, Hey, what, I wonder what Padme would be like if 2021 Natalie Portman played her versus yeah. a young teen Natalie Portman in the nineties. I feel like it would have been a lot different. Yeah. So, all right, next oh, up we Natalie, got Tones. I love you. <laughs> tones one one three eight obviously big fan of the show follower always in the live stream in the discord as well we love you tones he says darth maul vividly remember seeing him for the first time and instantaneously being a huge fan from devil-like design to the markings on his face uh to his double-bladed lightsaber you just knew lucas had created a very close rival to vader his mysterious persona his incredibly demanding screen presence and the fact that he barely said anything throughout the entire movie made him one of the best prequel characters to come out of the prequels. One of the best characters to come out of the prequels. Hashtag Sith rule. Uh, here's a here's another one where, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I know George had a plan and why he got rid of Maul so early. Maul was supposed to be just the pure embodiment of aggression and rage. Yeah. That Anakin would eventually become a champion. And then Dooku showed you that a Jedi could fall mm -hmm. from grace and become part. Yes, dear. Love you too. Oh. See you, buddy. Um, and then uh, obviously Vader himself is he's kind of a, a mix of them both. He's a fallen Jedi, but also almost pure aggression. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, with. The character that Maul became, I almost feel like now he should have been like the true apprentice to throughout. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because the way, I mean, essentially the way that they write Maul in the in the story, he's an animal in the movies, but in yeah. the cartoons, he's a fucking mastermind. Yeah, exactly. Like he he fills that Dooku role, like the Dooku role that was meant to show like the more, like yes, the fallen Jedi, but also the more cerebral side of a Sith, like right. it, that like more like, skill versus just power. Exactly. Like Maul embodies that later on too. Like there is a like a, a level of. So, like cerebralness i guess you would say that that he has to take to become you know to take over mandalore and to to do all of these things that he did after he came back from being cut in half so um yeah i mean maul is definitely probably i mean probably my favorite prequel character as well just because of all the work that's been done on him post movies hey um, donald collins how you doing buddy hello there um next up we got Sir Dork 730 our good buddy. He says, Qui-Gon Jinn, imagine what the galaxy would have been like if we Damn never lost straight. him. I mean, you, would, you essentially just wouldn't have Star Wars if Qui-Gon was alive. Like, he would have... You could argue that if, you know, prophecy... He would have made Anakin not a shithead. I, I mean, exactly, this yeah. is one... And Jared, I'm, I'm sure you checked this out, but, but this is one where you have to just go back and watch that Filoni speech on this, I believe it was season one of the Mandalorian behind the scenes, behind the scenes yes. where he basically opens our minds to who Qui-Gon was and ultimately why Anakin and uh, Anakin failed and Obi-Wan failed and all this shit. I mean, yeah. Qui-Gon was going to be that father figure. Exactly. He knew he needed to be the father figure when he took Anakin from his mother and he was ready to do that, but he died and Anakin got a brother instead, and look what that, I mean, they, de- they developed, or in Anakin's mind, they developed a rivalry. A rivalry. Yeah. Uh, Anakin always felt discounted, and then by the end, when he wasn't getting his master and sitting on the council, all that, he, he still kind of felt like his buddy, again, his buddy, not his parent, uh, was was joining with the mean girls, if you will. So, yeah. no, you're right. I mean, if Qui-Gon would have lived... We probably would have got the true chosen one, and he would have stabbed Palpatine uh, as a senator. Like right when he walked up, he's like, "Oh, I'll monitor your career with great interest." And Anakin just goes, <laughs> "Like I fucking know who you are, motherfucker. Yeah, I know where your black robes are at, bitch." And he just fucking slices him like right at the knees. Like yeah. as he's walking, he just cuts his legs out, and he just falls over and he stabs him. Takes him down. And Qui-Gon high fives it and they go, Miller time, roll the credits, bring no. on the Gungan marching band. Hoorah! Yeah, no more Star Wars after that. <laughs> yeah, we all lived happily ever after. The Chosen One prophecy was fulfilled. And just for good measure, little Anakin runs up and punches Mace Windu in the balls and says, I told you so. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> all right. There you go. <laughs> uh, good response there by Sir Dork. Next up, Bat2797 in the live stream as well. So he says... Well, my main vote has to go to the clones. Once they were unleashed on the galaxy, they dramatically changed the makeup. Basically, there were a new species. Uh, they were a new species introduced. If I have to pick a single character, it would be Obi Wan. Lost his master, only to be given the rank and a troublesome Padawan. Uh, and we all know how that turned out. Clones is yeah, a I, really good answer. I like that. I yeah. do like that, and I like how Bat kind of compared them to being their own race species mm-hmm. either either or mm-hmm. and he's right I, I mean the clones 
especially the named clones. I, I mean, they, they there's there are legions of fans just dedicated to the clones themselves. Yeah. Uh, just like you have the Mandalorian cosplayers, you have clone co- cosplayers and uh, traditional trooper cosplayers. Yeah. Uh, but the the clones did they they completely upended the galaxy. And you, it's you went like, from a peaceful republic with no standing war machine uh, to uh, a republic on the brink of war with a seemingly unending supply of warriors. Exactly, it's like the, the indelible mark that they left on the galaxy as a whole was. It's just like you can never forget it. Like, and mind you, Mandalorian warriors through their genetics yeah yeah exactly i mean you essentially have a a a peace you know a peacekeeping army at at first with the clone troopers and stuff like that that immediately with literally you know the 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 speaking of a word changes into a hostile occupation force that engulfs the galaxy and then even for the first order they essentially try to emulate what the empire had with clones with their brainwashing program uh, by, you know, conscripting yep. these children, brainwashing them, and then essentially turning them into drones that do nothing but follow directions, just like the clone troopers did. Um, they are incredibly um, uh, a monumental change in direction for the galaxy. And, you know, after they after that force hits the ground and fucking uh, attack the clones on Geonosis, it's never the same. So no, I, yeah, I did like that. And Obi-Wan's a good one too, Bat, but we, we can't give you two. You yeah, get one. you only get one. One or the other. Sorry. One or the other. Uh, yeah, I like how you tried to hedge your answer. <laughs> there we go. Um, all right. The last response for this week there before we, we get into our Zane, top five. Zane knows what's up. Zane, I will say that that um, Lima also had a good one, but it would have taken me like three screenshots to get all of his response in. I was just oh, like, boy. too long, man. Too long. Lima, uh, but it was a good busted. response. I uh, bet it was. I bet it was well written. It was. It was else, very so. well written. It was just a tad <laughs> too long. Um, so Zane Reeves' visions says Anakin by far loved how he was in a gray area in terms of being a Jedi, which ultimately was foreshadowing his fall and becoming Vader. He saw his. We saw his interrogation techniques like using Force Choke, which he also used when he caught Clovis with Padme. Oh, yeah. uh, we saw how he ultimately struggled to maintain his overall compassion and his rage. Uh, which was which we as people have to do uh, in certain circumstances. Anakin struggles parallel people in general, and how not everyone can be expected to be perfectly balanced like how the Jedi were supposed to be. We're living beings, and no matter how much we may not want to, uh, want them in specific scenarios, emotions are a natural part of being a living being. Check uh, that shit out. I mean, it's very true. And it is like Anakin, Zane dropping some therapy on us. Here. Yeah. I mean, Anakin, in terms of uh, comparison of Jedi to like actual human beings as we are, is probably the closest proxy because he does like, you know, you see all of these Jedi that that have been Jedi forever. And you really outside of Ahsoka, you really don't get to see the journey of any other Padawan in the prequel era. The only the only Padawans you get to follow from their their time as a youngling to becoming a Jedi are Anakin and and Ahsoka, and and really, you get to see like the oppressiveness that the Jedi tries to push upon you as a Padawan as a youngling. Like you can't feel these emotions, you can't have these attachments, you can't do this, you can't do that, and it's basically breaking you down as a human being or as a as a living being in star wars even in the star wars universe to 
trying to like fit and mold you into this perfect little Jedi shape. And that's why, you know, up front when, when Anakin is introduced to the council, they're like, he's too old. He already has too much humanity in him. It's basically what they were trying to say. We, we can't brainwash him as easy, as easily as we can little kids. Yeah. Like if you, if you brought him to me as a baby or if you brought him to me as a toddler, (laughs) Then yeah. all of the construction, all of the the humanity that's already built into that person is not there yet. They wanted yes men. That's why Obi Wan Kenobi was the perfect yeah. vintage Jedi. I mean, he even gave Qui Gon shit for being a little too much of a free spirit. Yeah, Obi Wan was textbook mm-hmm. to his detriment. I mean, to his detriment. I, I would argue. Uh, I think the reason Ahsoka ends up probably being the the most well rounded jedi slash force user is because of anakin skywalker and and his approach to being a mentor to being her her master and letting her see that hey he's gonna weave a little emotion here and there he's gonna do stuff that the council doesn't think he should do exactly and and i think it was an example to her that uh, like Nick said, where all these other Jedi were, were kind of getting siloed and, and put into a box and you can only do this. She was allowed to experience her emotions a bit more, which down the road uh, ultimately led her to make the right choice to leave the order after they fucked her. Yep. But after that, to essentially take up the charge of what a Jedi should be, and and be a protector of the weak in the galaxy and that's exactly what she starts doing with those two sisters and then on to mandalore and so on and so forth hopefully we'll get to see a lot more of what she was doing on her own with her own show yeah exactly so uh good responses there thank you zane reeves and everybody else who responded to the question all of those who weren't chosen thank you as well uh we appreciate the interaction good Um, But yeah, I mean, these are all very solid responses. So that brings us into the final segment, the fan segment, the top five segment. And and this week we got we got some bangers. Matt got to play. We got a top. Oh, yeah. It's a plus one type of week, my friends. Plus Um, one type of week. So to kick off the top five this week, we have a really incredible shot by Zav Teds at Z A V T E D Z on Instagram. Oh, a little, a little mashup, a shot. little bringing mashup, in, bringing shot. in the Predator franchise, of yes, Star Wars, indeed. So this is, uh, we see uh, full Beskar Mando here, Black Series full Beskar Mando pinned. He's got the Predator pinned down <laughs> on the it. ground, gun in Choke his face. Hold. He's like, "What are you gonna do, bitch? You can't fuck with the Mandalorians. I don't care your your wrist, shoulder rockets, your fucking heat vision, all this crap." You right. can't take down the man. We got Beskar, motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was a really cool shot. I like the background, too. He's got, like, this red kind of smoke coming up from the background. Um, I just thought that the shot overall was really cool, really eye-catching. You know, I mean, this is, again, just fan fun. Yes. Do you think a, a legion of Mandos could take out a legion of Predators? I mean, dude, if you think about it, they're very similar in the accoutrement, uh, in, you know, that they have. Yeah, I mean, the Predators, they, they have more of a hulking presence. Yeah, exactly. But they're kind of the same being. Yeah, they can cloak, too. Like, if they have, like, their full armor, like, they can cloak so they can hide a little bit easier. I right. think that Predators would end up winning out in the end because they're, phys- you're right, like, physically they are more of an imposing presence. 
and like with their technological advances over Mandalorians, like being able to to cloak and then essentially assassinate yeah, the, somebody the active camo. Like they, they, I mean, the Mandos were pretty resilient. They figured out a lot of counters to Jedi powers, which would be similar to active camo. So I think over time, just knowing the Mandalorian culture, they, they would they could adapt learn. to it. Well. Yeah, they could learn and adapt. Uh, but here's another one. Imagine if some predators got a hold of some Beskar. Oh. That, that's a scary scenario right I there. I mean, the, the, the Xenos have no chance at that point because yeah. y- you can't tell me that Acid's getting through Beskar. No if a lightsaber can't get through Beskar, Acid can't get through yeah, Beskar. I agree with you there. So um, good piece here by at Zav There's been a lot of... Uh, uh, the other one I share is uh, Collector's Orbit. He, he's another one that has done a lot of really, really cool-looking... Uh, predator mashups with star wars yeah. either giving predators lightsabers or, or shit like that maybe it, the predators some... it is weird and i know i brought this up it, it, i think it was one of the star wars comics is an easter egg there's literally yeah. a predator's right. mask and a xeno yeah. skull yeah. in this collector's warehouse so it's 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 almost like the star wars cl- uh, creators feel like these franchises like uh coexist circle, too. Yeah, circle around each other in some way so yeah i mean definitely i don't think we'll ever see a proper crossover no. but they'll play they, they they're clearly playing in the same area right. I, I like the winks and the in the in the nods here yeah. and there I, i'm not saying i need a full-on uh, aliens x star wars like yeah. avp nah i'm not asking <laughs> for that all right, so at oh, Zavtex. there she is, okay. good old Savvy Art. This one here, this yes, this is from at Savvy Art, S A V V Y Y A R T. This piece that she, this is literally something that I called out on the Star Wars Time Show. So if you go back to the last time that Savvy was featured, and it was still in this Padme line, she's been doing a lot of uh, illustrations of Padme through her life, and what I said after. The last one, I was like, I think with Savvy style, it would be awesome to see a piece that is, you know, that is Padme's death, like her juxtaposed to her as a queen. And Savvy fucking did it. Like she drew this beautiful piece so, that has. Uh, we'll just go with she did that based on your desires yes. and not just because <laughs> yeah. she did. She it. drew Let's it just... personally for me and I feel it. <laughs> And I like as soon as I, I saw it on my personal page and as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is going to be a top five for sure. As long as Matt shared it, yeah. it did. And I was like, I commented oh, on too. I was I, like, I, oh, man. Yeah, I was. Knew I would. Anytime Savvy tags us, it, she's like a, she's like a super scoundrel or, yeah. or some of the other real ass painters. It's just as, as soon as that tag pops up and we see him in the feed and again, it's not, oh, you got a tag. I, I, I promise you, it's the only way I'm going to see shit at this point in time. We're almost at 10,000. I'm, I'm liking everyone that likes us back. So the feed is a clusterfuck and we all know how dumb the algo is. So truly to get mixed up in this now and get the features throughout the week or to make the top five, use hashtag Star Wars Time Show on Instagram and all your Star Wars posts. It doesn't just have to be art figures. It doesn't matter. You could take a shit that looks like Bespin and post it. If it moves me, we'll share it. As yeah. long as you hashtag Star Wars Time Show, and also don't forget to tag at Star Wars Time Show. There we but go. back to Savvy Art, one of this, my one of yeah. my favorite real ass painters, it's, without a doubt. It's beautiful. So what we see is the the picture is split in half. On the left side of the image, you see Padme in her full Queen Amidala, Queen of the Naboo people gear, and then on the right side, where the bisection is, you see Padme in her death robe, like in her death attire laying in her grave both of the both sides have her eyes closed and it's just a like i knew it would be 
in Savvy Style. It is a beautiful representation of the last moments of Padme uh, that we get to see on screen. And it's just, it's such a poignant image because it Bro, does this, this is this is wall art two. man this is yeah. like paint this on a big ass piece of canvas and hang it up like i, I want to get this for my kid i want to get this for my daughter i want to hang it in a room i don't even know if she likes padme that much yeah but, but i love i love this art yeah it, and i know just, that so savvy has her own etsy shop and i don't know if she has every piece that she's done because you can buy a lot of her her imagery framed and uh, already ready to hang up on a wall. I don't see this particular piece on there, but I'm sure if she gets if she gets to it, then you could pick this up very well and put it on. How uh, is how is this girl not animating for Disney? Actively? I just don't understand it. Man. I mean, it's she just, has got the style down perfectly. Look, look at that just custom female Kylo, like kind of kind of racy for savvy, huh? Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> Little, little belly showing. But yeah, no, it's a beautiful representation. Of they like they all look like characters that I could go watch right now on Disney Plus. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's her her style is very fitting. Like that that Harry Harry Potter Frozen crossover yeah. right there. I mean, I I could see that thumbnail right now on Disney Plus. Dude, it's yeah. Her her style perfectly fits that. Universe. Come on, let, let, let's 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 raise savvy up. Yes, go on to her page. All of you Disney people that listen to this show, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> Um, hook hook this girl up and she's just a a, a deer she's such yeah. a pleasure she she loves getting picked for the top five you know what she, she we, puts we out need a story to see, for it we need to see if we can get her as a guest on the show there you go see, see see i don't know if you're listening savvy if you are interested in in being one of our interview guests uh reach out reach out to uh, we'll be nice yeah. uh listen to the silas carson interview i know our language or probably me <laughs> uh is not probably your your preference at least for your followers but yeah I, I would like to talk to savvy yeah because i mean her her style her art style is just so fitting of this universe and then of disney in general so uh, also hit up her etsy store as well go on her uh instagram page link there you can get any like a lot of the art pieces that paging she's spa spa spunky we've got a guest for you <laughs> yeah there you go so uh <laughs> at savvy art s-a-v-v-y-y-a-r-t on instagram paging mr herman beautiful stuff paging mr herman <laughs> you have a telephone call at the front desk all right next up we got at venture pictures on Ooh, ig yeah this is a new one uh photoshop artists so this is not going to be toy pics but I mean, the Photoshop art that we see here is just absolutely fucking incredible. So what we see is a battle time representation, or like a, a battle representation. We see Vader on the field, lightsaber ignited, stormtroopers at his flanks running into battle, AT-AT in the background, just blasting away at whatever you know enemies how, are on the Nick, field. Nick, how about the two AT-ATs up top getting ready to be airdropped down? Yeah, I was about to say that too, and you can see that too. There is a ship it's that is airdropping in two AT-ATs onto the field, and then just in the bed, like in the sky too, you can see numerous uh, TIE fighters and everything as well. I mean, this is just an absolutely beautiful piece of Photoshop oh, yeah. art here. And I'm on the, their page right now, just kind of giving everyone a, yeah. a more global view of, of what uh, Venture Pictures does. I mean, this is like Phase Runner type stuff. I mean, right. really would Look Venture at this. We got a recent do. one of um, the Republic Commandos. Yes, he's yeah. Got, he's got a, a bit with them. Yeah, yeah it does. It looks like he, he just, or they, uh, just clip 
assets from other imagery and and use the power of photoshop and their skills with it to create a whole new image yeah and that to me is is impressive because you know when you're a photographer or you're a real ass painter you you have the vision you you have have the control over your lighting as well exactly like you set up the the staging and you capture a shot here these photoshop artists are selectively targeting items from multiple different images mashing them all together and then what nick said is essentially relighting them digitally to make it look like they were actually in that initial shot um it's just it's mind-boggling what people can do with that fucking software that i absolutely hate yeah yeah dude it's it's nuts and this style of stuff like the things that that venture pictures and other photoshop artists have built i mean this is just mind-blowingly incredible work um, I can't even begin to to think about how this was done. Um, and lots you know, of hours, lots of brushes, and zooming in, and yeah. cutting and lassoing. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, like uh, I wish that that venture would do like one of those time lapse. Yeah, kind of looks like when he's in right. Photoshop that just shows you like this is all the shit that I had to do to fucking make this. Um, I think I think Super Scoundrels has done a time lapse yeah, before. I think, I think but again, you, you watch these people, they, they they it's like they just start fucking scribbling and then three hours later it turns into art. It's yeah, like it's no, like bang, oh my god, now that's not this normal. Thing. Like how do you go like just making scribbles of a, a body and then it becomes that? It's yeah. like get the fuck out of here. You guys are tapped into some sort of evil magic. Yeah. Nutty, nutty stuff. You scarlet witches. <laughs> You Agatha uh, Harknesses. Yep. All right. So adventure pictures on Instagram. Absolutely beautiful work. Um, next up, we have a shot from Lego Trooper 89. Um, and LT89, I mean, like he, along with like Ray and Lego Star Wars Tong and, uh, you know, all of these other great Lego photographers, they can take these Lego people and just make them look fucking badass. And that's what it, we got dude, here. Yeah, what Lego do, uh, Lego Trooper does with Legos is is ridiculous because he he does a lot of portrait stuff and, yeah. and really zoom pulls in on these figures. Uh, so there's a lot of manipulation. I'm assuming he's doing to their bodies because yeah. Legos don't move the way you see Isla posed right now if yeah. you're on the live stream. They don't. Yeah. So we see Isla Secura here with her two sabers ignited. And then she's on the battlefield. And that's another hard thing that you have to manipulate with these figures is to make it look like they're sized appropriately for whatever their background is, whatever field they're on. And and he really does it. So you can see, you can even see like some B1 battle droid pieces kind of on the ground in front of her and behind her. Details. Showing that he's, you know, that she's taken out some combatants in battle. You see a, a nice rocky crag in the background. She could definitely be on Felucia, which was her... Uh, her battlefield of choice during the Clone Wars. That's where she was eventually killed. Um, and it, she just looks badass. Like, yes, the, the figure has a face that is already kind of like this this gritty kind of like in the in the heat of battle face. Right, but like, like the, the posing, 
the the background uh, work that he did. I, there. I mean, it, it's like, like I, I don't know. I don't know if Tong's listener or other people Sith load Sith load Lego. I'm assuming you can buy custom Legos where the legs pop off very easily, and you might use tack to to bend them out like Lego troopers got them here, or or the arm. It even looks like these arms have joints almost because I know there there are custom minifigure makers where you can buy an arm or a part to maybe get a little more flexibility. But but even still, just having the vision like. Oh yeah, I'm going to take this Lego figure that literally stands straight up and down and you can only move its shoulders and both its legs at the same time. That's it. I mean, they're they're slightly more poseable than a Funko Pop. And to be like, oh, I'm going to do a dynamic action shot with this fucking static plastic yeah. figure. <laughs> this thing that like, can't move. Yeah, I'd be like, good luck, dude. Have fun. But Lego Trooper uh, accomplishes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he just put one out. And I, I featured it. You didn't pick it. That's fine. It's, there's no collusion here, as you see, people. Uh, but this uh, this Vader one he's got on his page, I have pulled up on the live stream. It, it's kind of a remake of the end of Clone Wars. Fantastic. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's not, I, not as dynamic, but super crisp, nice and polished looking. Yeah. And, and you can really see or feel Vader's mental anguish. Yeah, absolutely. In that shot. So yeah, that's a fantastic one for sure. Yeah, I mean um, not not many Lego photographers will do the close-up shots. They're more pulled out to get more of a, a, like, a scene yeah, in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh so so Lego Trooper 89 definitely in my opinion stands out uh, as someone that has a very unique perspective on Legos and if you read the bio here, all edits done in iOS apps. Yeah, that's a, that is super yeah. impressive. Right. That is super impressive. So he's like a, a Blainer things where it's just all iPad based. Yeah. He doesn't mess around with fucking computer software or anything like that. All on the phone uh, at Lego Trooper underscore 89 on IG. So uh, beautiful work there. Go give him a follow. Uh, last up for the top five this week, we have uh, Lewis Camps, Campsaw, Campos, Campus W. Luke. Oh, my God. Took That's me a little enough. while. At Lewis. As Nick L- said, we have. Hey, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. At Lewis, L-U-I-S, Campus, C-A-M-P-A-S-W. Gosh, my my dyslexia was kicking in there or something. So what we have from Lewis here is fantastic battle scene shot. It's almost, you know, anytime I see a shot like this, I think of Jesse, everything Kylo, because he is kind of the master of these shots. But Lewis has done a fantastic job of capturing the battle essence. We see a shore trooper. Uh, on there and you got two stormtroopers on the flanks all holding their guns up shooting across the field almost looks like trench warfare going on here yeah you know a mortar shell just blew up in front of them they're catching all the debris this shot to me nick it's 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 one of my favorite type because it and i don't know if lewis is listening or if you listen after lewis drop us some feedback I don't think there's any digital edits in here i think this is straight from the camera's eye yeah, which I mean, gives it a very realistic feel. Yeah, very realistic. Like, I mean, it, I can feel that that shell going off and that shore trooper, you know, kind of eating eating the shrapnel and the and those other guys ducking it. It, it just has a very uh, real world quality to yeah. it. A very yeah, it's like almost like Imperial Grunt style, where it is like this wartime photography with toy, like with minifigures, with toy figures that that really does sell like man this shit really happened this is the bat we were at you know we were here we we're on scarif the battle's going down 
this is a moment and, and you just take that snapshot of that moment. Um, it really does capture it well. And the posing of all the figures is really, really well done. Yeah, I'm pretty um, sure that these are figure arts figures, at least yeah. the short trooper, because black, black series, they don't bend that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. It's very hard to get a black series rifle actually up to the figure's face. Yeah. So uh, but it's a damn good shot. Damn good shot from Lewis Campus W. Yes. Go give him a following. Relatively low follow count, under 500 followers. So hopefully some people become aware of him through the through this top five shit we're up to we're over 9400 i'd say within the next month or so we might finally hit 10k crack the 10k hopefully we we hit knowing us we'll hit 10k and And we'll it'll be that typical instagram bullshit where you lose a bunch yeah so it's like so we still won't we still won't be able to share fucking links in our stories yeah that's all i want I mean, the 10,000 will look nice, but I just want the fucking swipe up feature so we might actually get some juice to the website. Yeah, exactly. Just or the something. videos, because I know you lazy assholes. We could post all the shit, say go to our bio link. They're not doing that. I wouldn't do that personally. I get it. <laughs> but I think if we can finally in the story section, at least where people are scrolling through and they see a swipe up, maybe get a little... Maybe get a little web traffic. A few, th- yeah, a few people over to the website. A few more so. views. It might add like a, an average of two and a half more views to the videos. Yeah. Uh, but it'll, at least it'll make me feel better. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, that's the end of my top five. So why don't All you right. hit us with our Let with me take it over one. for you here, Nick. It is a top one type of week. Thank you for yielding the stage. And here's, here's, my, here's my choice, my friends. You're probably familiar with this artist. This is at Imperial1211. Um, another I would describe kind of a, a, a static portrait type of shooter. Big into troopers, clones. Uh, but just it always takes very uh, quality looking, natural light, naturally lit shots. Uh, yes. I, it seems that Imperial uh, 1211 is, is a big time outdoor photographer. I, I believe the figures we're looking at, Nick, are black series. So these are tiny little hmm. six inch figures that Imperial 1211, in my opinion, through, it looks like some custom weathering and just being able to take a damn good photo. They look like hot toys. Yeah, I mean, he's pulled up enough. I mean, he's probably using a 100 millimeter macro lens like I I basically can't take it off my camera these days. And, and there are times where I know based on the angle I'm looking for, if I wasn't a lazy asshole and just put my 50 millimeter on, I could probably get it. But these 100 millimeters are so useful for toy photography because of what you see in at Imperial 1211 shot. You can get that damn near one to one magnification, the zoom to make these things look like actual life-size individuals. And, uh, you know, Imperial, he doesn't do a lot of flashy stuff, uh, but that's what I appreciate. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm wowed by everything you fuckers send our way, trust me. Uh, it, it's been getting crazy. I, there was a point where I'm like, holy shit, we may finally get under 200 shots to feature. But th- <laughs> the past two weeks, Nick, there have been some mornings where as I'm collecting features to put into the folder i just take screenshots of them this morning i added 25 new shots jesus you know two weeks ago i might have been adding two or three so the the community always has plenty of lovely shit to look at yeah but being someone that 
that, uh, you know, is predominantly a, a portrait shooter, a close-up type of shooter, the, the, the portrait style, you know, the, the, the tighter cropped, uh, I am drawn to others uh, like me in my arena. Yeah. And Imperial 1211 is one that stands out. Uh, Faceless Trooper is another one. Uh, Ex-Captain Chaos, Ex-Chaos, or whatever his new handle is. Uh, but I mean, I actually think the, those names I just uh, spoke have formed a triumvirate, kind of like Jason the Spencer and Zay. Exactly, Nick. Because yeah. I don't know if you saw today, but all three of them got featured with their Cad Bane collaboration. I, I did see that. Yeah. But I, back to Imperial Twelve Eleven, I actually think he's looped in with Faceless and Chaos to do something similar. So uh, check them out at Imperial Twelve Eleven. Uh, does a lot of hot toys uh, type of stuff, uh, but also makes Black Series look like hot toys through yeah. his photography. So check him out. That's Beautiful. my recommendation this week. Beautiful work there. So that's the end of the top five. That's the end of Matt's top one. That's the end of the show. So Matt, take All us right. home and end this one. All right, my friends. How do we put this one to bed? This was a big show. It was yeah. different. It was unlike the others. It was the most unique version of the Star Wars Time Show. Not because we had an interview, but because of the type of interview we had. These two schmoes, through the dedicated help of one Spencer Barron, a.k.a. Spa Spa Spunky, produced our first ever real deal Star Wars actor guest in the form of Silas Carson. And it just so happened to be that Silas was a fucking pleasure of a human to talk to. Uh, he was fantastic before we went live when we were dealing with our usual issues, and he was even better the moment we started rolling. Uh, the man is a true professional. He is a class act, and he definitely elevated the Star Wars Time Show through his presence. Now, though, it's up to all you bozos to ensure that juice we just got, that street cred that we just got you all, is maximized. Show us some receipts. Show us the profit. Get the word out. I know you all like this show, but tell people why. What can they get? What can they expect now from the Star Wars Time Show? Now, that's not always going to happen. Let's be realists. We're not a huge show. Spencer's running into some closed doors, as he should. As he should. But if we get those numbers, I'll tell you what. One day, these people will be wanting to talk to us. They'll be wanting to share stories to you all. So please, keep it up. Comments on the videos. Rate, review on the podcast platforms. Sharing our content out as much as you can and as annoyingly as possible. And just genuinely sitting people down and be like, listen, you're going to listen to this shit and I'm going to watch you listen to it. At the end, if you don't like it, you're an asshole, but that's okay. You at least gave it a try. I do think Nick and I would have at least a 60-40 success rate <laughs> based on the type of show we deliver. 60 is better than 50. We want the numbers, bigger numbers, bigger guests. I got faith in Spencer. I got faith in us to make the interviews uh, interesting, as some of you said today was. But we still need that following. We still need the following. And if it, it doesn't just come organically, we got to start beating those drums, beating down those doors, and just generally letting other people know that it is okay to be a fan of the Star Wars Time Show. 
People don't have to feel like a pariah or a loser because they listen to a, a, a smaller Star Wars podcast. Fuck that shit. We're just as good as those big ones. We just haven't had that magical moment. Is Silas the magical moment? I don't know. You guys tell us. You guys speak the word. Become the apostles of the Star Wars Time Show. Go to the top of those mountains and preach to your flocks about the greatness that is this dumb little Star Wars fan-run podcast. All you got to tell them is go to StarWarsTime.net. It's not hard. We're not looking for money. No handouts. No buttons to click on to pay us. We just want support. We want likes. We want word of mouth. We want comments. We want shares. We want subs. Those are the forms of credits we accept here at the Star Wars Time Show. So again, StarWarsTime.net. Easiest place to send noobs. There they can check out the content. They can get linked in with the podcast platforms. And we're on all the good ones. I'll leave it at that. There's no reason to go through them every week. We're on all the good ones. There's no reason not to be sub to one. We're also on YouTube. You know, I, I think the live show has become, it's almost a year old. It's still not perfect. We still deal with some sort of tech issue every fucking week. <laughs> but that's what makes the Star Wars Time Show special. You got two special dudes talking about a special franchise with their special friends in the chat room. And that's what it's all about. StarWarsTime.net. There's always time for Star Wars time. Say it again. There is always time for Star Wars time. That's how you should kick off every one of your SWTS masses that you hold with your followers. Because there truly is always time for Star Wars and the Star Wars Time Show. And besides, if you do happen to listen to the Star Wars Time Show, the Force will be with you, and you, and maybe even you, always. Always.